Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk about creative focus. But before the, before we do that, um, I'd like to give a, a shout out to my mom because she listens to my podcast, and this is how I found this out. I was in the car with her on Saturday, and um, we were going somewhere, and she uh, she said something really terrible. I said, "Well, don't be rude," and she said, "Right, I wouldn't want anybody to eat my face." <gasps> No. And I was like, mother, are you listening to my podcast? And she went, no. <laughs> you lying liar who lies. Tell me she didn't listen to the butt sex podcast. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there's no place else she could have gotten it from. Alexander was prompt with the knife and fork on that one. <laughs> Anyways, at the very least, she listened to that podcast. But she is a uh, she um she is a Hannibal fan. So, so she li- so the, so it could be the only podcast of yours she's listened to is the Leaning into Hannibal podcast. Could be. Ugh. <laughs> I'm gonna put the Ripper on a plane. <laughs> they put the Ripper on a plane. <laughs> anyways, anyways, hi mom. Um, <clears throat> hello, Mama Marcos. <laughs> you you need to turn this off now. It's about to get adult in here. <laughs> <laughs> You're not old enough for this, young lady. <laughs> anyways, create. Don't call focus. me. I'm kidding. Go ahead. I said, don't call me. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Because I know your mama would call and chew me out and then tell me to go harvest my corn, and I just can't deal with it. <laughs> oh, if she could boss you around about your farm town, she would. I know, I know. Um, like saving everyone's sanity, that's not happening. Anyways, creative focus. I think it's actually this is a very timely podcast because we are um, day three into National Novel Writing Month. And this is the one month where I try to stay on one project. Normally, I don't restrict myself. I move around to whatever I want to write on. Right. Um, And because it's just it's more relaxing that way for me to to work on what I really want to work on um, when I'm in the mood to write. But during National Novel Writing Month or actually during any Rough Trade Challenge, I try to stay on focus. But I do my best to maintain that focus during National Novel Writing Month because of the word count. Like in July, I wrote two stories for Rough Trade. Um, I also uh, did Fluff Bingo. Um, <laughs> I worked on a couple other things. I wrote um, part of Battle of the Five Armies for Small Magic. Um, so, you know, I had a little more room because of the word count, right? But when it comes to National Novel Writing Month, the word count is usually prohibitive as far as like adding extra stuff to the mix. Yeah, especially if you're signing up to do something bigger, or you know it's bigger than 25 to 50K. So yeah. I'm really, I, if things go according to plan for me, I might come in under 50K. And I'm not going to be mad about that because even though it's not the nano goal and it's actually not the goal I signed up for, it is so hard for me to write under novel length, right? A, a tell, a, tell a novel length story under 50k that i'm, I'm not going to be mad about word economics in that case right. that, that would that would actually be a sign of growth for me to 
growth for me not to not to be writing 100k. So, so if I do manage to come in under under 150k, I'm going to just going to go with it. I like I you know I signed up for 75. I think I'm going to be between 75 and 100. Um, my really with point- how with how how long your first plot point took, you think you're going to be? Yeah, but I am um 11k in, and I've done um. That is the wrong plot document. That is my quantum bang plot document. <laughs> um, but I'm on plot point thirty on my quantum bang. Anyway, oh, I was like, I was um, like, how did you on, be on plot point thirty? <laughs> I'm on plot okay. point fifteen. I I just started fifteen. On... Really? So it was just the first one that really yeah, dra- yeah. got dragged out. Okay. It's because I had to introduce the character. Yeah. I mean, Ragnarok has appeared repeatedly in my work, but he's never been a POV character, and he's never had you know any kind of central focus. And so I had to introduce him to the reader so that you'd get a good feel for him, because he is the main character of the story. Um, and Harry and Hermione are secondary characters. Um, so it's like, I had to do a lot of work up front. But yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, on, I'm on plot point 15 of 70. And I've had to remove one plot point, so I'm down to 69 plot points, and I have done 14 of them. 13 of them. 13. Because the one I removed was in the middle of that. So, I'm only, uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm not... between 25 and 100k. I mean, I do have a, two court scenes, so... Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Um. <coughs> um. I'm only, I'm only, I'm only, I've only finished three plot points in... But, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, but your plot points are different. Yeah. Actually, I'm a little concerned now that now that you said that. Because your plot points are different than mine. Um, I mean, 50k is a goal. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have any trial scenes, so... Yeah, I'm, totally I'm, get I'm under that. I'm, yeah, I'll be, I'll be good. I mean, I I wouldn't. I I thinking right now is probably going to come in around forty k. So you know, and I, I'd be fine with that. So how many plot points do you got? Um, I think there's twenty two, twenty three. Oh, okay. But my yeah. pl- my plot points are a little bit. You know, like my my for the for prologue, my plot points were Tony talks to Janice, and. Tony ascends and gives deals. You know, those were my two plot points for the prologue. That was it. And then my, I only had one plot point for the first chapter, which was Tony and Jack talk. <laughs> so, you know, they're a little broader, but I have a lot of notes about what goes into all that, those, those plot points, obviously, but, but still for me, for me, the whole first chapter was just one plot point. Um, my first chapter took up, because I do label them, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of my plot points was in chapter one. And one, two, three, four, five, six was in chapter two. And that's part of that is the difference between her zero drafting and the way I have like a, you know, the critical path. I, I plot more towards critical path and then I make notes about what all needs to go into that point. Whereas like a lot of your plot points for the first chapter had like emotional progression of events, but well, but there's in the, your first chapter you had, you had Harry and Hermione talking. Um, you had mm-hmm. Ragnarok and Lenore talking. 
Yeah, so there's there's. I had to on. introduce my central characters. I had to put. I had to give them context as to where they are and where they will be. Um, so it was important to show the reader. This is something you know that when you're working on, like you know your characterization, it was important to show that um, Harry and Hermione have a very um, bitter and kind of bleak existence. Fortunately, one they will not remember because only Ragnarok and Lenore. T- I'm I'm time traveled. Yeah, and that's a really that's really like the only thing that the idea that they weren't even going to have to remember that was like the only thing that got me through how ugly what was done to them was it was like wow ouch you know and I meant to write it in such a way that I didn't want to deal with love potions um, but then I came upon something that actually I think is maybe a little bit worse because at least in the ex- when you're existing under a love potion you don't know what's happening to you but Harry and Hermione aren't being forced to have any kind of romantic or sexual relationship with Jenny and Ron, but they can't leave them. They can't do anything that would be considered disloyal to them. Yeah. The disloyalty thing is just, it's so insidious. It just, that, that it the is insidious. It, and I didn't think it was on the top until I started writing it. And then I was like, Oh God, this is so wretched. Um, but I didn't want to do an, an, another love potions thing. So I thought this would be a more interesting take. Um, Especially the idea of weaponizing something that is considered to be such a, an admirable trait. Because Dumbledore's a monster, so why wouldn't he? And it isn't even out of line with his character in canon. No, I agree. It was it, important it, finding a way to give the situation some canon circumstances and not invalidate the canon that I know happens um, like with um, the number of children they had and when they had their children. Um, so I picked a time point when Hermione didn't have children yet and Jenny had just gotten pregnant with, um, Sir- with, with uh, Sirius um, or James, James Sirius. Um, so that uh, it was just, um, I wanted to make sure I, I was still in their canon circumstances. So b- um, um, b- before I did my divergence. Well, I mean, your true point of divergence is actually when they arrive back in the past, right? Right. Yeah. But I wanted to, um, I wanted to root the problem in canon. Yeah. To, uh, like a ram, a ripples out of of where we where we saw canon left off. Yeah. So that the reader gets the assumption that if if it carried on, it would be like what happened in the epilogue. That's what their future looked like. The epilogue. And I was thinking about how they looked and I watched that scene on YouTube and how they both looked so much older and worn down and more focused on their children than their spouses and how that could have gotten there. So, but yeah. So, and that's really important when you're, when you're putting together a project like this, but, uh, I think that for me, the the easiest way to keep myself focused um, during an event like Nano is to um, number one avoid reading as much as possible, which is really difficult in rough trade because <laughs> you guys are putting out things I want to read, <laughs> and um, two to not start any outside projects. To the week before the, the um, it started, I didn't 
try to start anything new. I finished off the one pending project that was really catching my attention, which was Dance With Me, um, which, by the way, was very well received on my website. So I think that when you get ready to, to hit that pairing, that people will be really interested. <laughs> it got the most attention of any of my fluff bingos. Huh. Well, I mean, I... um. I um I already started the story with the two of them. Um, yeah, I just didn't get it done before the first. So, um, but yeah, but you know I must say so. This is what uh, this is what the first plot was. But then I was post. I had to copy this over to um, out of Word because you can't paste from Word into Discord. It you just can't. You have to no. So I put it, copied it into a text file. But this is how this this to me is one plot point, and I don't know. This might be multiple plot points for Kira. So, to me, that's one, which is why I only covered two plot points in the first the prologue. That would be four plot points for me. Okay. So different method. We have different we have different approaches, but so, you know. I used to zero draft like that or plot like that, but like when I print it out organizational wise, it just, it's easier for me to keep track if I number them and um, not do the sub point underneath the big point. Yeah. It I became could, easier could, for me visually. Yeah. And also because then you can, you know, you can make notes to yourself by plot point number. Once some yeah. plot points got a fixed number, you can mm -hmm. make yourself a note, go, okay, in plot point, blah. And then you don't have to give yourself any more context than that. Right. So. So numbering yeah. is actually really beneficial organizational wise. Yeah. I might try numbering maybe the next time I plot, but um, I, it's so ingrained in me to plot with sub bullets that, because uh, to me, a plot point for me, it's defined in the critical path. So this is the thing that has to happen for the next thing to happen. Um, well, you could do your critical path numbered and then do your bullets un um, underneath. Yeah, they could be sub So that you yeah. would have, yeah, number your main plot point and then do your, um, your sub points as bullets. But whatever helps you focus is, is, is what you need. If you don't need this kind of document, then don't make this kind of document. If it's going to, if, if you don't want to plot yourself out of your story. And there are some writers who, if they plot too much, they can't write. And for right. me, for you, that might be like for you and the, as the, the listener, my method may, may be too much plot for you. Um, Whereas for me, storyboarding is where it gets to be too much for me. Um, when I start actually planning out each individual scene, um, you know, the setting. Yeah, I can't and, do a scene map either. At scene maps. Mm -mm. Although I was told once that not doing a scene map means I'm not actually a plotter. Whatever. Um, <laughs> well, for me, it's not that it locks me down because I'm always willing to change a plot. It's not over plotting doesn't lock me down. It's just what happens is I've told the story to myself already and I lose interest in writing it. Yeah, I get bored if yeah. I overplot. Overplotting kid. Well, I, I could still write it. I would just be really bored the whole time. Yeah, I'm like, why would I write something I'm finding boring unless I was getting paid for it? <laughs> Which is what happens when when you get paid for it. <laughs> right, you, you write it whether you're bored or not. Right. Um, so like the only things. So I do try to clear the deck with Nano now for 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 November. Now. April, I think I had two or three projects going on. But when I'm doing something that's that's challenge specific, I do try to 
give myself some limitations and go, okay, these are the things I'm going to work on aside from nano because my, my, my rough trade or my nano project or whatever has to be my primary focus. Um, or like when I was working on duty of the living for the duration of time that I was working on for duty of the living, it was my primary target primary thing. But sometimes you have to take a step away from a story and figure out, you have to kind of step back and, and give yourself some room. Cause sometimes you just kind of get a little bit, you got to noodle on something. You got you to gotta let it percolate a little bit, whether something doesn't feel right, or you just need to reassess your next steps or how to approach a plot point or something. And so having something else that you can go to isn't a bad thing for me. So I do that with um, almost everything but November. Now in November, Sometimes I will still, if I need to take a step back from my story, like it's driving me bonkers, I will find something else to work on. But this month I also have, um, just based on time, it's just a timing thing. The edits for my next book are in. So, you know, periodically that's going to come up this month. So since I knew that, I had to account for that in the whole. In the plan. <laughs> in the plan, because when, you know. You got to get that done. <laughs> so knowing what you're going to work on and what's on deck. Um, and if I wanted to go to a different fan fiction project right now, I would try to finish up that, that Tony Rampart story. Um, it would be the, my go-to, I think, because I already have it in process and I'm. So look at her telling us that she only goes, that she goes with the flow and what she really means is she pants her ass off. <laughs> That's what happens when you get old. So somebody asked if you have to know the ending of your plot before you start plotting. I usually don't sit down and plot if I don't know where I'm going. I don't necessarily need to know the exact progression of events, but I need to have a point. Otherwise, I I will stall out in the plotting process pretty quickly if I don't understand what I'm trying to accomplish. For me, so, um, one of the one of the first things I do in my cloud plotting or brainstorming is ask myself where my character is. And where I want my character to be at the end. Yeah, and, and I do that, but that to me is still too vague because it it doesn't ha it's not a, it's not a focus. It lacks to me that for me, I have to understand what my thematic elements are so that well, I know that how I'm in my cloud plotting too. Yeah, but I mean, just to me, just going okay, I'm going to take the stories. He's going to be here at the beginning. And he's going to be in Hawaii at the end. It, I could plot a story that goes that, but without a focus, it. It just is going to fall flat for me. And I've had that happen multiple times where I've sat down to plot something. There have even been a couple things I've plotted for the Quantum Bang that lacked that thematic focus. Um, like exactly what, so I, I knew where my characters would start and I kind of knew what events I wanted to take them through. But it's just for me, it's really important that I understand exactly what kind of story I'm trying to tell. And so I don't need to know. I can, I can plot a lot of events that will feel flat as a pancake to me until I get that focus in there. And I need more of my emotional context than my physical context. When we were when we did the quantum bang um, conversation that you guys will eventually hear, um, one of the things that we did was we talked about, okay, this is where my character is. And this is what 
I want my characters to have at the end as far as like um, uh, their hierarchy of needs. What needs to happen in between that to get my character from here to here? What makes them safe and happy and in a good home? How do I get there? And so that's how I um, like to start as far as characterization goes. Yeah, I, for me, I think the thematic elements and stuff are about the emotional context because yeah. um, I, I'm because I'm a character-driven writer. All of my thematic elements are going to be character thematic things, as opposed to plot themes. Um, I don't tend to I like do big plot themes like redemption and revenge. Re re which, revenge, right? Which to me are <laughs> which to me are character focused as opposed to apocalypse, which would be more an event event driven. I mean, it, I, I guess it depends on what kind of revenge you're getting. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. Because <laughs> I think the revenge in Dogby Lowell is both personal. I mean, it is both internal and external. <laughs> like they're getting personal satisfaction, but they're also fucking up a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Um, hold on, I'm going to mute for just a minute. Okay. Um breaking your character i try not to break my characters um because it hurts my feelings and if i'm emotionally devastated by my own work my focus starts to <laughs> i just you know i have to give myself purpose um in my story um and uh breaking my characters early on can sometimes um be an emotional hurdle I have to go over as well. Like when I opened my quantum bang, I opened it with something um, that was actually personally devastating for my character. Um, and it was just like, why did I do this to myself? Why did I start it this way? What is wrong with me? <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> but I did it in Unleash Your Demons too. But that wasn't my fault. I'm not the one who wrote Infinity War. <laughs> No, that's true. Where else could I possibly have started? It was emotionally devastating. Yeah. Well, I mean, I told you on the first day of Nano that I had started in my my story in a different place. Um, but where I started it was I started it in the hospital with Tony suffocating, basically. Yeah. And I've set myself. <laughs> I've set myself too much. Um, if you, I think, if, I think for somebody who's had a lot of lung problems in their life, writing, trying to really get in the headspace of somebody who's slowly drowning, right? Just, was it was just really, really upsetting. Um, and so I just decided to cut that whole, the whole beginning up to him. His and she broke our hearts anyway. Well. <laughs> That, that that giggle was ugly, Jillian. <laughs> well, the thing is, I didn't. Ex I didn't honestly I didn't expect it because I thought, I think it would have honestly had a little bit less emotional impact if I'd kept that high angst beginning. But I honestly didn't expect the end. I wrote. I got to the end of it, and I was like, "Oh, I just made myself sad. Why am I sad?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. Sometimes I miss some of the emotional context. <laughs> <laughs> Ellie says I, I broke my character Julie disintegrated hers well, well you know Ascension it is ascension. what it is um, yeah. 
I when I wrote the end of chapter two, um, I was f- focusing on my plot points. Like, okay, okay, I'm done. This is chapter three is going to start back in time. So I ended it and posted it, and some, and one of the first comments I got was, "Oh, I hate cliffhangers." See, I didn't. I I didn't see it as a cliffhanger. Didn't see it as a cliffhanger. I mean, we know exactly what's going to happen next, right? Yes, there. It's in the actual summary. Right, they're going to wind up, and they've been planning for it. They're going to wind up in the past. I mean, the next scene is going to take place in the past. That's pretty obvious to me. So, I mean, this is this. We come back to people think that because they don't know what happens next, it means it's a cliffhanger. And a cliffhanger is when, to me, when like you leave a character in a precarious position and you don't know if they're going to survive, or or like the way that Criminal Mind series end with the fucking gunshot. That is a cliffhanger. Who got shot? Did anybody get shot? Did anybody die? You'll never get the fucking answer. Fuckers. Um, she, but she's not bitter. No, I'm, I'm. Yes, I am. I'm still bitter. You know what cliffhanger bothered me the most? Glades. Did you ever watch the Glades? Uh, he finally like, gets. He finally gets the girl. He's been working this since beginning since since episode one he's been working this we're we're three seasons in it is their wedding day he goes to her dream house which he's bought her for a wedding present that she does not know about yet to check it to make sure everything's okay for so when he you know, when the wedding is done he can bring her over there and give her her present right he's in the house he's looking around he's in his fucking tux for the wedding he turns around gets gut shot the last scene of that fucking series is him laying on the floor, bleeding out. Yeah. I only saw, I saw like an episode or two in the first season, but I never saw beyond that. It just didn't kind of jump out at me. But, I don't know where the um, house was, but it doesn't matter. He was by himself. No one knew where he was. He, his, his cell phone like just flicks away. So he doesn't have, I mean, he's, he's just, uh, just, uh, well, watch I mean, it all the way to like the, Second to last episode. That's a perfect ending because she says yes, they're getting married, and ta-da, it's over. They live happily ever after. <laughs> just, just be in denial about the last episode. But shows, shows when the whole I, I don't even like it honestly. I don't even like it when a series ends a season on a cliffhanger because like Criminal Minds would do a cliffhanger every other season. That was like their pattern for a long time, as it would be every other season cliffhanger, and it was just so fucking irritating. Um, there was that cliffhanger at the, remember that season of the West Wing? I don't know if it's the first or second season where somebody gets shot at that when they were leaving and you don't find out till the next season. I think that it was Josh that got shot. I don't remember. Honestly, it's been so long since I watched West Wing. I could watch it as a new show. Yeah. But when, when and then show that's that's kind of like there are cliffhangery shows. They'll, they'll do like a cliffhanger at the end of a season. Um, the end of season one of Hannibal was a cliffhanger, or no, season two, season two. In the season two, when he guts Will and Jack's bleeding out in the in the pantry or whatever, uh, and Alana is lying out on the concrete. You don't know if she's dead. So basically, they they ended that season with you not knowing if three characters were going to live or die. Right? That's a cliffhanger. There was nothing to me cliffhangerish about what you wrote any i don't think my clip my prologue was cliffhangerish either honestly because he ascended no i mean we we knew what was going to happen next jack yeah. o'neill was standing in the middle of that room we, we knew what was coming we knew that kate and gibbs um their life as they know um, um as they knew it was over because they had been exposed to beaming 
O'Neill, and Ascension. <laughs> All in- Their only path forward is the SGC. What else is there? <laughs> right. I mean, it. yeah, I mean, maybe you don't know exactly how I'm going to spell those events out. But again, not knowing what happens next does not mean it's a cliffhanger. Because you knew exactly what was going to happen next, like literally exactly what the next scene was going to be, then what would be the point of me writing anything, right? But but I, you can infer certain things. So like in the case of Lenore... It's the thing and, is, and, if Chapter 3 was posted, no one would think Chapter 2 was a cliffhanger. No. It, they just don't know what happens next, and they really want to... They really, that, what they're saying is they really want to see what happens next. It's just, it's, But it's not a cliffhanger. I didn't read it that way. It, hey, do you want a spoiler about what's going to happen next? <laughs> You mean they're going to arrive in the past? Yeah, they are. They're going to wake up in bed, and because he is Between who he, he is, he's going to fuck his wife. Between <laughs> Harry's fourth and fifth year? Yeah. yeah. No, really? You mean just like they said and said in the whole chapter two? They're going to go where they said? It's going to work the way they said? I they're going to go? They're going to go? They're going to land in July of... 1990 what the hell's my thing i keep picking up the wrong one 1995 and um that's right 95 yeah because it would be 94 95 was fourth year 95 96 is fifth year so yeah 95 and um his first order of business is going to be to fuck his wife because he is who he is because <laughs> because magic didn't obliterate them down to their atoms, right? So ce- celebrate. I mean, we well, know they're, they're only not- ten years younger, roughly, because uh, it's it started and in two thousand four, and but they, it, it's nine years, um, and they they're live, going back they to ninety five. They live hundreds of years, so they're not right. They're not getting a significant time boost but yeah there's there's no mystery about what's happening i mean how you're actually the the interesting part of obviously is going to be how you're going to implement it because obviously it's too early in the story for them to die not that you tagged not that you tagged for major character death i did Um, not so so, yeah you know they're not going to die i mean so we know we know quite a bit about about what's about to happen even if we don't know exactly how you're gonna what how you're gonna meander, meander that path but it's 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 not it's not a mystery. There's no mystery, which means there's no cliffhanger. Right. Anyways, so, cliffhanger. Oh, yeah. I actually hate be accused of cliffhanger if I didn't write one. One day I'm gonna write one. I'm gonna write this epic, terrible. The reader will be hovering over the edge of themselves, click um, cliffhanger, and then you guys will know the difference. <laughs> there won't ever be any confusion again about how I write a cliffhanger. <laughs> Oh, so you thought I wrote a cliffhanger before. Well, let me show you. <laughs> you I know what a cliffhanger I, is. Let me I show you occa- what. I will occasionally try to put... I will occasionally put one cliffhanger in a story. One. Not always. I don't always do it. But something novel length, I will occasionally give myself one cliffhanger. Um, last Nano... But you only get wood. Yeah. The last Nano... Um, I did have a cliffhanger plotted. It's the first time I think I've done... A cl- you know, plotted a major cliffhanger. In in a nano project and i was like and as i was sitting down to write it i went i'm not going to do this in nano i'm gonna i'm not going to put a cliffhanger in a story during nano because sometimes it's days before i get the next chapter up right Mm-hmm. And I just don't want to leave people hanging like that because I'm, I'm a, I, people don't have that experience with me of ha- being hanging on a plot point because i i, I post completed works right? So they don't have that experience. And so I didn't want to introduce that experience where I might not be writing for several days, you know? 
So I decided not to to put this cliffhanger in. But it fucked me. It fucked me bad because I had to add like I don't know four or five new scenes to to compensate for the fact that that the the event didn't happen where I planned it to happen, which was where when Tony over overloaded and blew up in uh, Bucky's detainment room in Century. Uh-huh. That was supposed to be at the end of a chapter. Why couldn't why couldn't you just hold off posting your chapter until you had two chapters to post, and then you wouldn't have ended your post on a cliffhanger? What have I told you about giving me logic when you know <laughs> I, we have a we're, we have a rule we have a rule about that you're not supposed to just be all logical and shit. But anyway, after the fact, <laughs> after the fact, she's not supposed to give me logic after the fact. But anyway, I could have asked her then, you know, about this whole. Thing. I could have asked her then. She could have suggested that, but I didn't. I just changed. I changed it on the fly and said I'll do it another day. So instead of having that first scene, where they're all together down in Bucky's detainment cell have it end that way I had it end a different way but then I was like well I can't have the very next chapter have the exact same setup right so I had to completely restructure multiple chapters and add multiple scenes I was so, I was so irritated with myself I'm like next time I plot a cliffhanger you bitches are getting a cliffhanger <laughs> so what you do in future for all of you listening not just Jilly but if you're in an environment like where you're posting on rough trade and you don't want to end your post on a cliffhanger just save your post until you have two chapters to post and then post them at the same time yeah or a day apart you know whatever but yeah but the thing is I was the thing is I, I think that's one of the reasons why I stopped posting partial chapters is I felt like I was cliffhangering all the time yeah. Even though that's not what was going on. I prefer to post a whole chapter. Because I hate yeah. to do that A and B thing. I hate it. Mm-hmm. I was trying to do this. I thought it'd be good for my nano discipline to post every day. And so sometimes, I think one day, one, one chapter, I had like an A, B, C, and D. <laughs> I posted <laughs> four days to post one chapter. I'm like, I'm I'm done with this. I can't do this anymore. It's It's a whole chapter or nothing, so... Now, you know, also, you know, Rough Trade is a rough draft environment. Uh, people, you know, w- when you're reading on Rough Trade, um, what you see is what you get. And what you see in November may not be what you see next year when it gets posted for real. Um, someone yeah. mentioned earlier asking about is, uh, is is that why it's called Naked? Because we we pants our ass off. It's, it's called Naked. We originally called Rough Trade Naked Nano because we were posting without um, editing or beta. That you just spell check and go, you know, wrote, you know, wrote hard and put up wet, so to speak. So it's, um, it's, it's actually very, (sighs) yeah, and not everybody spell checks, which is fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's totally fine. Um, I mean, it hurts my heart sometimes, but it's fine. It's fine. That word is as not long as it's in not nature. repository and suppository. <laughs> Check your suppositories. Although, if you'd posted that, I, I usually don't ever tell her. We don't, we, we have a rule we don't tell each other about typos. But if she had posted magical suppository, I would, I promise you, I would have said something. Well, you know, sometimes if something happens in our rough draft where we're actually contradicting a plot point because of a typo, we'll point it out to each other. Like, yeah. you know, because that's like, it's going to come back later to haunt you because you've, you've messed up your plot point. Yeah. 
but yeah, so it's it's a thing, you know, where you um and you know, honestly, posting in your rough draft format, if you're if it's not something that you normally do, like, there are plenty of people in in uh, in fandom who post their rough draft, who don't do a second draft, who don't do a beta, who don't give a fuck, and for them, that's probably not very um difficult to do but for those of us who do have an editing process and a second draft process and um they go through a beta posting your rough work can be revealing yeah it's like it, it does feel naked it's like and the first time i did rough trade i that's i understand why they called it naked nano because that's how i felt because i had never posted in my life rough work I was like, this is, I mean, other than like in school where you like have to write something on the fly and turn it into your teacher. I've never showed you anything rough in my life. It was like, what is this? This feels so wrong. What am I doing? It's like having that dream where you're naked in public. Except, you know, in my dream, no one ever notices I'm naked. But on Rough Trade, everybody notices you're naked. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> she should do some more setups. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, someone, okay, this is actually something that's on topic. Um, creative focus. Someone just wrote in the chat room, my fic is littered with red lines because of accents. Turn your red lines off. Mm -hmm. Do not spell check or grammar check during the writing. Um, whether you're doing it on Google or whether you're doing it, um, with, you know, turn Grammarly off. Um, do not do that yourself to you because that will destroy your focus. Don't allow Word or Google or Grammarly to check you as you're writing. That's just, it's, it, that is, that is going to destroy your ability to concentrate on a regular. It's very derailing. If, if you need music, turn music on. If music with words is too much for you, find something instrumental. If um, you need background noise from your TV, turn your TV on. Do what you need to stay focused and keep your environment in a comfortable place for you to be. But there should be a way to turn that off if you're in Google. There's no reason why that should be like on there all the time. You should be able to turn that off. I could not ignore word underlining things with the little squiggly red and green lines. Absolutely not. There is no way I could ignore that. Yeah, it's hard to ignore. I have I have that stuff turned off when I'm working because no. No. Um but just just Google. But you should it. be able to turn like Google turn off grammar speller check and, and and see what comes up on. It should totally be one nano. I binge watched um, Midsummer Murders the whole month. It was just in the background because I'd seen that show. I've actually binge watched Midsummer Murders like four times. So <laughs> it was. I just had it in the background as, as background noise. Yeah, I'll put on a TV show I like um, sometimes um, that isn't super distracting for me or a movie and let it just play in the background while I'm... But sometimes I don't actually want any noise when I'm writing. I just want it to be quiet. Um, I think it's also important to be diligent about your writing time and to not be afraid to tell the person in, that lives in your house or, you know, or whatever, um, hey, I'm writing. Can you come back later? Is this really super important? And again, yeah. remember if they tell you, well, you're just writing fan fiction and you respond, well, it makes me happy. Are you saying I shouldn't be happy? Make them defend 
themselves when they tell you that fan fiction isn't important or um, just like I'm doing something that makes me happy and then try to and just watch them try to figure out how to tell you that you're not allowed to do that that that's not worthy of your time yeah it's very effective <laughs> I mean it can be hard to get people to stop um interrupting you like when my parents visited was it last year that they yeah well they always the, they always they're really bad about interrupting me anyway but um the never ending visit <laughs> but um i was and it, it actually wound up causing a problem because i was putting on my my big over ear headsets that completely cover your ear i have was having them on so much of the day trying to write that i started developing um problems with my ears like like skin problems rashes and stuff looking too specific and to the point that i couldn't put my headphones back on for like a, a, probably a good week at one point because um it was just limp you know it's like i'd gotten like some um, blisters that it kind of formed i don't really know why but they were just draining like this clear lymph constantly Gross. I know it was all around the back of my ear because I'd gotten this rash, but yeah, it was, I was like, okay, so, you know, note to self, use earbuds instead of the over ear headphones. But the thing is earbuds for me are not comfortable for more than an hour or two. And then I was just like, I just like lose it. Like, why won't you guys leave me alone? You know, because I couldn't, I couldn't wear the earbuds anymore and I couldn't put the headphones on and, you know, it was just, it was just going on and on and on. So, and so it's weird that sometimes a coffee shop is thus noisy than home. And not because it's actually less noisy, but because you filter out all the expected noise. You filter out the sound of people ordering their drinks. You filter out the sounds of people talking. You filter out the sounds of chairs scraping. You filter out, you know, people, you know, doing the drive-through thing. I mean, you just, you, you tune all that stuff out. But when it's in your home environment, there's certain sounds you can tune out, but there's more than that that you don't because somebody talking to you is not a sound you're going to filter out. An unexpected, you know, somebody suddenly deciding to start vacuuming is not a sound you're going to be expecting, so you're not going to be filtering it out. So, I know, yeah, and nobody bothers but, you at Starbucks, so. But I will say that actually, during National Novel Writing Month, it is more difficult to write in public. Um, the event gets a lot of attention. Um, there are a lot of hobby writers that get this romantic idea of, of writing a um, novel in a month. So they'll get out their little laptop and they'll go to Starbucks or they'll go to the coffee shop or they'll go to a deli you know, where there's free internet or they go to Barnes and Noble and sit in the coffee area in Barnes and Noble and act like they're a writer. Um, <laughs> that was so snotty. <laughs> <I was laughs> but they will also interrupt you. Like, how are you doing? You know, you know, what's your word count? And like, I remember a couple years ago I was in, um, I was in an Atlanta bread company, um, which is like um, a Panera, but it's Southern. Um, it's, it's a Southern company. Um, and um, I was by the fire. I was doing my thing. I was writing. And this lady comes by and says, oh, are you, are you a writer? And I'm like, yes. Um, are you writing for National Novel Writing Month? I said, well, I write every day. Um, but I am. I am participating in National, you know, National Novel Writing Month. Well, what's your word count? And I told her, and I think it was like on day four or five. And I said, I'm at like 15K. Um, and then she had like a whole bunch of, this woman stayed in front of my table for 45 minutes. I was so annoyed that the manager 
who I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty regular there, trots over and asks me if I need anything. And I said, no, I'm just trying to write. And then he said, well, we'll let you get back to that. <laughs> we, like the manager was the one who was bothering you. <laughs> right? <laughs> and later on, when I was packing up, he came over and he was like, you looked ready to go nuclear. I was like, she talked to me for 45 minutes during National Novel Writing Month. <laughs> I got a free cookie out of it, though. <laughs> He, he patted me. He said, come over to the counter and I'll give you a cookie to go. And I'm like, okay. Because <laughs> I'm not turning down a cookie. <laughs> Why is this heifer talking to me? <laughs> For 45 minutes. And it really honestly normally only happens during National Novel Writing Month. I guess people think it's, they romanticize the idea of, of writing a novel. And, and this event is um, unique and interesting to them. You know? And so, yeah. And actually, I have never gone to a write-in where I actually accomplished anything. Although I accomplished a lot during our Just Right write-in, where we did the sprinting all day on the first day, I accomplished a great deal. But going out to and be with a other group of writers to write in, like in public somewhere, it never works out for me. People no. are way too chatty. There are some, I mean, people who do a write-in at the library, they're fucking serious. Yeah. Right into the coffee shop, it, it's going to be more likely it's going to be heavily social. Like, I did a write-in once at Books A Million, and they were more interested in talking to me about my career as a writer than actually writing. I was like, are we writing tonight? Oh, no, no, this is just a social gathering. I was like, oh, okay. I packed up myself and went home. Because, no. <laughs> yeah. One of my local nano groups, um, I decided not to even attend because uh, they have a Facebook page and stuff, and um, they have all these pictures and stuff of of their write-ins, their write-ins, in the dozens and dozens of pictures they took. Not a single person is writing in those pictures. Not one. They're standing around. They're socializing. They're posing with each other. Nobody is writing. I'm like that. Does they, not but, sound. Uh, productive <laughs> they've got I'm like they've got like 10 15 20 people in a room and nobody's writing in any of the pictures that are clearly taken over a long period of time it's like this is clearly not a productive session yeah someone trying to read over my shoulder look if they don't get hit in the face last time someone tried to read over my shoulder i wrote them a note stop fucking reading over my shoulder in really big letters at the bottom of my document they stopped <laughs> yeah, that's right. Eat the rude. And the rich. You could you could you could say you could do you could do this if you said Uh oh, she's typing something. <laughs> I just put that at the bottom of your document. Wait for me to get there. <laughs> Hannibal would eat your face for that. Put the bottom. Jilly's gonna put the ripper. Get the ripper on a plane if you don't stop reading over her shoulder, <sighs> lady. Holder. But uh, it's um, it can be difficult to find your focus when you're around people who don't respect your writing time or who don't respect your craft at all. Um, and that is something that a lot of fan fiction writers en encounter in their family that their family thinks they're wasting their time. 
um, you should be making money. Although, truth be told, I haven't actually, I had, I had made the assumption that it was all about fan fiction because I would hear comments like, well, is this fan fiction or original fiction? And that, and anybody asks me if I'm writing fan fiction or original fiction, I will go, I'll, I'll, I'll assume that they're even asking the question because they're going about to feel na- they're about to be like, well, why aren't you working on? And usually that's true. Usually it is because they see more validity in you doing original fiction. But I discovered that when it comes to my mom, that even doesn't matter what I'm writing, <laughs> she'll, she'll still bug me. <laughs> she doesn't, it doesn't give matter. a shit. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, at least she's not, you know, she's every occasion asshole. <laughs> well, I mean, I know for years that she did kind of look down on the fan fiction writing. She, it's not, I, I don't think in her own mind she thought it was looking down on it. I think she was, she thought it was more, um, she, she was trying to, encur- she, she looked at it as encouraging me to write original fiction through her disapproval <laughs> about fan fiction. Wow. You know, <laughs> nobody has ever encouraged me with their disapproval. Not, not, not even Grammarly. Um, but, you know, the thing is, funny thing is, I, uh, I want to say three or four years ago, she wrote me a, a letter basically saying that she'd had an epiphany. I don't know what brought it on, but she'd had an epiphany about my fan fiction writing and she'd realized how negative she'd been about it and that, you know, that she hadn't, you know, she just, she apologized basically. It was a very long letter, but she basically apologized because she realized that, you know, all that mattered was that it was important to me and that she hadn't been supportive of that and da 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 da. So I thought it was really great. Although, on the other hand, so she did stop with the is this fan fiction or original fiction thing because of whatever epiphany she'd had. Again, I don't know where that came from, but there's still this it doesn't matter that you're writing, you could be interrupted thing that people do. It's it's like yeah. they don't even, they don't even realize they're doing it right that they, they don't even realize. So what you do is you find something that they really enjoy, and every time you catch them doing it, you interrupt them. Mm-hmm. It took my husband one football season to respect my writing time. <laughs> <laughs> well, about half a football season. <laughs> I get it. I get it. And you're like, I'm writing, I'm writing. And honestly, it's like, even with, even with the sprinting, even with the sprinting, when I'm stopping every 20 minutes, it doesn't mean that I actually want to be diverted onto things that don't, uh, other things. Cause I get up, I move around and stuff, but I don't want to get wrapped up in a problem in that 10 minute break that could completely derail my creative focus because I, I don't do stuff that's going to derail me on that 10 minute break. I get up, I go to the bathroom, I get some more tea, I, you know, whatever. But I don't, I don't get wrapped up and I don't, I don't like make disturbing, you know, troubling phone calls. I don't, I don't call my doctor's office and get test results on that 10 minute break. I mean, so, <laughs> right? sometimes, right. Sometimes things happen that you have to deal with, like your doctor calls to give you test results. But the, the consequence is going to be that you're probably going to be derailed on the next sprint. So it's just... So be careful about what you're doing. If you're, if you're using sprints as your, your, your framework for getting your writing done, be careful what you're doing on that 10-minute break. And also, you've got to rein yourself in. 
you got to rein yourself in. Um, if you want to get your writing down and you're sitting down to sprint, um, but you're letting yourself be distracted by 50 other things, then you're not, you're not ready to sit down and write. You know, it just, you're not. Well, I, sometimes I use my break to, to look, to look at, you know, points coming up to look at, um, previous points to make sure I'm getting everything done in, in my plot document to make notes, to plan a ritual, <laughs> you know, yeah, and then go back to writing. I try to give my eyes a break of some, at least some of part of the sprint, uh, part of the break. I'm trying to get the rest of my eyes a little bit. So I'm not looking at the screen, but sometimes, yeah, I'll be figuring out what I'm going to write next or making notes about something that I need to deal with in the future or, or whatever. But, you know, and I'm not talking about this week. This week, people have been super focused. But in the past, like the summer and April, sometimes I would see people sprinting. And they'd come in to say, okay, I'm ready to start writing. And like six sprints later, they haven't written a word. And I know that because they would check in and say they hadn't written a word. <laughs> you know, because they'd done this, and they'd done this, and they'd done this, and done this. And like, why don't you go deal with whatever it is you're dealing with you need to deal with and come back? And, you know, when, when you're ready to come back... um. You'll be ready to write. And yes, some people photo jet on their on their break. Um, okay. So and that and part of that, some part of that is reining yourself in. Now sometimes other things come up. Like I I had one day where this was, I want to say this was this summer, where just sprint after sprint after sprint, I would get like five minutes into the sprint and there'd be a knock at the door or there'd be a phone call or it was just, it was just bad fucking luck. Right. Um, it, it the outside world was intruding and I would get a hundred words written before I would get interrupted. And so, I mean, I mean, I was still plugging away at it, but it just wasn't productive. And that really irritates me because when I, when I sit down to sprint, I want to, to get some writing done. That is what I want to do. My sprinting time is, you know, my, my intention is to, get stuff done. There was one day that I ran like 10 hours of sprints just in that one day. And somebody else ran some sprints for me for a little while. I think I sprinted for like 13 hours that day. Um, Cause I was like, I got to get this done and I'm going to get it done. And so sprints for my highly productive time for that. So it's really irritating with, for me when, when the world inter interferes, but the other side, what can also happen is you can get, let your let yourself be distracted. It's like okay, you're set aside this hour for sprinting. You're going to do two sprints, and you know instead you watch, you know, you read four articles on Facebook and watch two cat videos. That's letting yourself be distracted. That doesn't have anything to do with outside distractions. That's just you not reining yourself in, and that's part of making setting a, do, having a creative focus is that you shut down the the outside um distractions like closing facebook or anything that pops you up a notification like you know i have my phone on silent most of the time and when i'm writing i turn it over like i turn it upside down so that i don't see the notifications pop up on my phone and and distract me and that's that's part of setting your environment um and it, it can be all you can do is the stuff you've got control over. You can't control when UPS is going to deliver. You can't control when the pharmacy is going to call. You can't control when your family is going to interrupt you. All you can, but the thing is, I see people not controlling the things they can control. 
control and then they're super frustrated. And that is part of, of figuring out how to get your, your folk, your creativity focused is to turn off those distractions. Good night, Margaret. Um, so like, yeah, you know, as says that when she sits down to write, she closes all the tabs. She only has like discord open the story and, and a timer running. So yeah, I mean, that's what you have to do if you don't want to be, now I have more tabs open. Usually it's not uncommon for me, but the thing is I have a tab group or a folder that has all of my tabs I need with information for what I'm writing, my research and stuff. Um, and I'll open the whole tab group when I sit down to write and then close them all when I'm done so that they go right back into the tab group together. So I do have more tabs open, but I don't leave social media up. I don't leave Twitter up. Um, you know, I'll, sometimes I'll forget to do the flip, flip my phone over thing. And then the first time a notification pops up, I'll remember and turn it back over because there is this impulse. It's like, okay, this is a thing I usually pay attention to a notification on my phone. And if I don't want to be distracted, um, I have to, I have to, I have to make, make that distraction go away. Um, so tab Group. So there are multiple tab managers that are browser extensions. Um, one of the ones I have a couple installed depending upon the browser I'm using. Uh, I use one right now I'm using one called one tab. And so it puts all the tabs you put together in a group. And then I named the group. The name of that group right now is called, you know, nano 2019. Um, and then there's like a little button that says restore all and it restores all of the tabs. And then when I'm done, I just press this little button for the, for the browser extension that puts them all back. Now, when I do that process, I do have to rename the tab group over and over and over again, but you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. So like my tab group is closed right now. So I've got an image. I don't even remember what that image is, but I must be referencing it for some something. Oh, oh, it's a picture of what base housing looks like. I've got a transcript, two transcripts open in that in that group. I've got um, two links to specific episodes, Stargate Atlantis, um, three episodes of Stargate SG-1, and then I've got the episode list for the first three seasons of Stargate Atlantis in that group. Um, so, so that's what's in the, so it's just the basics that I need when I sit down to write, like I need to check something anyway. So that one's called one tab, but you can also just look at tab managers, um, because bookmarking, I also sometimes will do bookmarks instead. Like if I'm going back to something over and over and over again, I'll create a temporary bookmark folder that I put all of the things I'm going to use over and over again. And then when the project is done, I delete the bookmark folder. I like the tab yeah, manager a little yeah, I, do, I like the tab manager a little bit better for stuff that's transitory because book, my bookmarks are already out of control. So, <laughs> I mean, can anybody find anything? Yeah, in I organize once a year, but that's about not enough. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's some part. <laughs> like once it was so out of control, I just labeled, I just made a label while 2016 and threw everything in it. <laughs> Yeah, it started over. It's like this is fucked up. But I mean, that's one of the reasons why I like the tab manager over the bookmarks. Um, is because my bookmarks are out of control anyway. And so when I put my bookmarks, the stuff I'm going to be referencing semi permanently. Like when I find a really good fandom resource for something, I bookmark it. 
But if I did that with everything, if I did that with every transcript I would need for this particular writing project, my bookmarks would be insane. So that's why I don't have one tab open. But just just the single, like we talked about, you know, limiting your distractions. Um, and one way you can limit your distraction is to do all your research prep in advance. If you're a plotter, that's easy to do. If you're a pantser, I'm not sure how you would accomplish it. It's hard for me to actually do all my research. I wind up missing stuff, and then I am irritated that I don't have the stuff up, you know? Yeah, it's I like thought I, to... I was prepared. I was, like, on my game, and then I get to the ritual, and I had not made the ritual. Uh -oh. I was like, fuck me. Fuck me. For me, it's usually things like transcripts and stuff. Like, I'll... I'll just go, okay, I'll refer to this information in the transcript when I get there. And so I don't plan. So, but what I, what is important about all of this is that I close everything that isn't related to what I'm writing. Like I don't leave YouTube yeah. open. I don't leave Facebook open. I don't leave, I don't leave any of that stuff open. I, everything that's not related to what I'm actively working on gets closed so that it's not a source of distraction. And you really, really have to rein yourself in. And, I mean, sometimes I talk to people like privately who really are struggling with managing the distractions. But the thing is, they don't want to rein themselves in. It's like, oh, it's just one more YouTube video. I'm like, if you're not willing to rein yourself in and resist clicking on that one more YouTube video, which I believe me, I understand the YouTube spiral, but make the choice to, to go down the spiral or to write. You can't say, oh, I, I just, I can't help it. I have to watch one more video. You're basically saying that your writing is a victim of your lack of discipline which is fine it just, very well may be just admit but it just but just own it that's what we've talked about that before it's right it's really um there's nothing wrong with choosing not to write but what happens is people don't want to say that they don't want to say i'm making the choice not to write today and so what they do is they come up with a bazillion excuses Writer's for why block. they can't why they can't write or where oh, it's just you know yeah I'm being an asshole. Sorry. Not really. <laughs> um, I think it's a scripture made... set up to distracting personally. What I've actually been doing this time that's been really interesting is that um, I did not, uh, up until about six months ago, I was using an old copy of Microsoft Word, like 2010, maybe. Like the, la the last one before 365. So I switched to a 365 subscription, which is great. Um, and uh, it has a focus option in Word, where if you click it, everything but the writing goes away. Like all of the, the menus and everything. You just get a page and you can write. And you get out of it with the escape key. And I've actually found that very helpful. I can't see my word count. I can't see my page count. It's just me doing my thing. Mm-hmm. So the focus option on Word in 365 is it's very good for that. Yeah. Just stay to stay in the lane. And and you have but you have to you have to rein yourself in. And the thing is, I think in this day and age, everybody is easily distracted. I think now some people have some attention issues, which is a little bit different, but we are so used to being pulled in multiple directions. We are so accustomed to having our phones going off and things going on, on our tablets. And I mean, it's not uncommon for me to have three different browsers running with dozens of tab in, e in each browser and something going on on my phone and something going on on my tablet. And maybe my iPod is busy too. So, and the TV is on. We live in a distraction heavy environment. And, but if you want to get your writing done and you don't want to 
if you want to, and that, that's the thing, if you want to get it done, you have to be willing to, to turn that stuff off. You have to be willing to set it aside. And if you don't want to, don't. But it's not a mystery why you're having a hard time getting your writing done. Alexander says, I turn my font on really small and, flow and flowy script in sticky notes, and it helps me type more and faster. I, I could not do that. Um, I have to be able to see what I'm writing. Um, that's part of my visual cue, and that could be because I started writing on a typewriter where I had a physical representation of my productivity. Um, but I need to see what I'm writing. That's how you avoid magical suppositories. All right. <laughs> this this feels like it's a similar tip to the writing in Comic Sans. Yeah. Which is that it, it is basically tricking your brain going, this is not something that you're going to easily read. So, and I have had times when I, I will do it occasionally when I'm trying to bust through difficulties in writing. I will try the Comic Sans thing, but I don't do it all the time because you become inured to anything. You can become used to anything. You will become used to writing in Comic Sans and you will become used to being able to read it. And it may not work for you as a trick anymore to bust through right. that, that, that block. So I've done it a couple times. Like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put it on this God awful font and get this scene banged out. And then I go back to my normal font because no. I was kind of like stymied on darkly loyal for a couple of years and i and when that comic sans thing came up i said well fuck it i'm gonna go pick the project that i'm having the first problem with at the time which happened to be darkly loyal it was almost done but not quite and i finished darkly loyal using comic sans but the next project i started i went back to laura which is my favorite font currently to write in it's a very fat um rounded font it's very nice on my eyeball it doesn't cause me any strain um because I think that I would probably get too used to Comic Sans. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I know you can. You can get, you can get used to anything. So, and the thing is, is the the trick about Comic Sans, I really when I based upon what I've read about why it works the way it works, you will get used to it. It's going to stop working. This is just my opinion. You do, you do, you boo. Um. So I do that. I will try a font change to, and use something like Comic Sans to kind of, you know, blip my brain into focus or out of focus, as my, the case may be. My longtime friend, who I call Sci-Fi Writer on my, or I used to talk to about him on my live journal called Sci-Fi Writer, he writes an Arial point eleven. That soulless monster. I know, right? The first time I read one of his stories, I was like, why the hell are you writing an area on 11 point? What's wrong with you? Did you see that Alexander says that's 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 their main font, Ariel? I, 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 only a monster uses Ariel as their main font. <laughs> Did we call that lawful evil? Was that in that meme? Was that lawful evil? I think so. What was lawful? Was, oh, I think law, no, lawful evil, I think, was courier. It could be. It could be. Yeah, Courier's terrible, too. I had a publisher who only wanted their um, hard copies sent to them in Courier New. And I was like, man, there's something wrong with you. I would write in Courier all day, every day and all day on Sunday between, before writing in um, before writing in Ariel. Ariel is lawful neutral. And Times New Roman is lawful good? Lawful good. Lawful neutral is Ariel and lawful evil is Courier. Comic Sans is neutral evil, which... 
I, I use Laura L O R A on Rough Trade and on Wild Hair and on my own site, and I write with it. It, was, it is very visually neutral. It, it doesn't cause a lot of eye strain because it's roundish, and I um I write in I do write in Calibri, but I don't write in the regular Calibri font face. I write in Calibri Light. Uh, cause I, I just, I think Calibri light is beautiful, but I think Calibri is a pain in the ass. So I guess I'm chaotic neutral, but not exactly. I like um, Calibri light, but mostly I do that when I'm editing, I'll change the font to Calibri light to edit. Cause it makes it, it's, a, it's just enough of a change from Laura to make it. Yeah. Um, now my site and quantum bang are, are in open sans, which I find to be the, one of the most readable um sans serif fonts um uh, it's very popular it and it is a font face that's available you know to use in word so uh, i put all of the um feeding frenzy documents are in in open sans because not mm -hmm. everybody we have we have people doing the feeding frenzy that use comic sans we have people who use Arial, times new roman there's one particular nutter yes i'm saying <laughs> it who writes in papyrus <laughs> You know who you are. You know who you are. You know who you are. Um, which on, on this chart, on this alignment chart, there that would be chaotic evil, which I agree with. Uh, but the thing is, they call chaotic good Garamond. Now, I could spend my whole life with Garamond. Yeah, I could it, too. Except for its italic face. Its italic face drives me bonkers. And so I it's, will never use it. Does it slant too much? I mean, what is it about it? It's like it's... It's too curly. It's, it's almost it's, distorted. It, it's too curly. It? It's it's such... It, they went from a... a Garamond. It, it looks like a completely different font face. And it's italics. I just I hate it. I hate it. And I italicize things a lot. And I can't hate my own writings enough that... I could do a business letter in Garamond and be perfectly happy with life. Um, and Garamond on the alignment chart is chaotic good. Um, and I, I feel that way about it. But... Garamond Italic is chaotic evil. Fuck that. No. <laughs> and, you know, this may seem like nonsense talking about the font, but the font can be very um, detrimental to your writing process. Um, especially if you pick something that you don't normally write in. Um, sometimes change is not good. Sometimes change is really bad. Georgia is a very traditional font. It's often used in print publishing. Um, so, that's a good neutral font to use as well, Georgia. Very easy on the eyes. Um, the distribution across the page is normally pretty good. Now, what font is that? Lady Holder? See, there's something about the way the, on, the, on the garment, the italic, it kind of tilts and distorts the letter a little bit to me. Yeah, it's just... That H, I hate that H. I hate that H with the fire of a thousand suns. The H looks like a B. It's terrible. I hate it. I, I find it completely unreadable. Oh, absolutely not, Alexander. Absolutely not. <laughs> I, <couldn't, laughs> I don't even I know what that is, but no. I couldn't write in that font, but I do think it's very pretty. I could do like a letter to some. What is that font? Tell me. Fill me in. I like the I. She likes the fonts. Oh, she likes the I. Is there a J in there? Do you like the J? Is there a capital J? Am I about to be happy? I like the A, too. Write her a capital J so she can see the J. I don't think Alexander was... Savoy Let, okay. 
It is pretty, but I couldn't write in it. I couldn't write in it either, but I do send cards out to people sometimes. I wouldn't mind using that as a, as a like a, you know, personal. It might be a pretty font, font to put on like art. Yeah, I'm just curious what it is. That's what Savoy. Okay. I don't even know if I have that font installed. Let me see. Oh, the J is not to your standard. Oh, I do. I think. Um, it's a pretty standard J. It's it's not that awful. It's not that it's not that awful J with a crossbar. Right. True. It could so be worse. Not, actually, that looks a lot like my signature. But whatever. Um. <laughs> so I do have that font installed. Anyway, okay. So diversion. But it, whatever whatever helps you, whatever gets you through, when it helps you focus. And if changing your font helps you focus, then change your font. But bitch, change your font back because your beta doesn't need that kind of negativity in their life. <laughs> yes, please don't send your beta, Papyrus. <laughs> or, com honestly, or comic stands because I don't... Uh, I, I just... Where does one uh, get a beta? From the beta fairy. <laughs> um... You can ask around here. I mean, over on the Just Right server, um, you can post if you're if, if you're planning doing this for the Quantum Bang. You can ask for beta um, in the forum on the Quantum Bang. If you are just generic, you can look for um, post somebody. Some people post for beta help over on the Rough Trades workshop. There are some fandom groups that are like challenge specific that will try to help with beta hookup if you are doing a challenge. Like for the NCIS bang, sometimes they have people who volunteer to help with beta. Many challenges do that. Um, so, but it's something, you, you know. But what I would say is that the first time out with a beta that you don't know, the person you don't know, even if you do know them as a person, if you're in groups with them, if you're in chat with them, if you're, um, if they're somebody you see a lot in the podcast chat or somebody that you see um, on Just Right all the time, the first time you beta with them, don't give them something you love. Give them something that you like okay, that is short, to see what they do with it. Because you don't want to give them your word baby and have it destroyed. Be careful with your word babies. <laughs> Until you know what kind of beta they are. Um, are they going to be a, um encouraging, productive beta? Or are they one of those people that would tell Jilly that she can't have dragons in emergence? Because <laughs> dragon shifters don't make any sense. <laughs> As opposed in a story to about dragon shifters. <laughs> As opposed to all the other kinds of shifters that do make sense? Is that the <laughs> argument here? It has something to I do mean, with it. I mean, seriously though, test them test them because you don't know what you're going to get until you've gotten a test from them and you don't want them to have your word baby well if Nevi and Alexander are both betaless maybe they could beta for each other <laughs> <laughs> you got to I mean, form a relationship I mean you got to know what kind of beta you need too you, you need to understand what your issues are so that you can say this is what I need help with I need a beta typically now what I need from an alpha is completely different from what I need from a beta. I need a beta who can catch typos. Honestly, that's it. That that's it. That's that's what I look for in a beta. Somebody who's going to catch the typos. I'm not looking for somebody to correct my punctuation because odds are they're going to be wrong. 
I do fuck up my punctuation. That's true. I'm not trying to be an egomaniac about this. I do occasionally fuck up my punctuation and Grammarly doesn't catch it and words grammar checker doesn't catch it. I do screw up, but I would say, I would say 90% of the time when someone corrects my punctuation, they're wrong. So I don't look for that from a beta at all. But you've just got to know what it is you need, right? Yeah. Do you need somebody? Um, do you need more of an alpha reader? Someone who's going to look at your characterization and, characterization and your plot and say, hey, this isn't working. Um, or maybe you could do this instead. Or um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or do you need someone who can look at your grammar? Or someone who can look at your um, your word usage? If you're not an English speaker first. Yeah. When it, when it comes to a beta relationship. Don't. You're not ready for beta. Until you're in your final draft. Or your your second draft at the very least. If you're like I'm a first second draft. And then final. Um, and I usually beta after my second draft. So if. Um, I would never ask somebody. To beta my rough. No. Honestly, that's just rude. I haven't done a spell check. I haven't done a grammar check. I haven't done my own read through. I haven't done Grammarly. And why would I put that much work on somebody else? That's just really rude. <laughs> I don't I don't bait as much as I used to, but I used to just be so furious when I would get a, a, a story to beta that obviously hadn't been even read through. It hadn't been put through a spell checker. And it honestly felt like it was so disrespectful of my time that they would just like literally toss this off and then throw it throw it at me um and i put up we don't with want it. your jerk off remnants no and i would put up with it back then but now i don't you know because when i do have time to beta and i pick up a beta for somebody i tell i'll make sure i ask them this is not your rough draft right because if they send me their rough draft it goes right back my I'm, when you have a better draft you can let me know I'm not i wouldn't that. actually beta for someone again if they sent me a rough draft the first time and i recognized it yeah so if you're not done if you're not done with the story don't send it to your beta beta this is this is honestly it's part of fandom culture right if somebody will crank out five thousand words and toss it off to their beta and then they're not actually done with it they've literally it's literally hot off the presses they've just finished writing it and then they get it back and they reconsider and they change a bunch of stuff and and then they may or may not post it and it's just this need to crank stuff out as fast as you can and or you know that beta should come before anything else the term beta came from it means something completely different in fandom now than it than what where it came from because beta readers were like a focus group, right? When when mm -hmm. uh, when when pro professional publishers would put out a book, they would get beta readers to look at it right before it was ready for publication. Notice the nuance of where in the process it went to the beta readers right before publication, and it was a last sanity check to make sure there weren't any problems before they put it into typesetting before they put the money into actually printing the book, right? So the, they, brought, they brought that over. Go ahead. Go ahead. They brought that over to fandom, and it became this combination line editor, more line editing than anything, but co combination line editor, proofreader, type, you know, um, copy editor, um, content editor thing, and it just became this this catch-all for editing the story, and it, it moved earlier in the cycle. And, you know, a language evolves, so in fandom, a beta reader means something very different than it means in in professional publishing but it doesn't mean that you should 
be following that awful convention of sending your rough stuff. You can send your rough to an alpha reader, but that's different. Alpha readers are about content editing. One of my most involved processes ever in fandom would be um, the first book in the Lantean Legacy, No Enemy Within. I sent it to Chris and Lady Holder. Um, and it was my second draft. Um, what you guys eventually saw was the fifth or sixth draft. Because what happened was I had this really small idea and they had other ideas. <laughs> And they, um, what it, it, it was a very organic process, right? That they would have questions. I would answer them. I went into my third draft process, realizing that I was not telling the story that I thought I was telling. Um, and that I needed to tell something else. And it was just like, basically my first draft of Lantean Legacy, the Anointing Me Within, became a zero draft. But that wasn't the intention when I wrote it. But by the end of it, it definitely it that version is definitely a zero draft. Um, and like me looking at it in in retrospect, uh, but we I think we all three learned a lot during that process. I think that No Enemy Within is one of the tightest and best fiction stories I've written in Stargate, and it is a credit to Lady Holder and Chris that it is. And sometimes Beta goes um, that way, but that that's Beta's that she knew and trusted mm -hmm. their opinion. She'd worked with them before. If if a if a Beta I had never worked with before was offering me that kind of feedback unsolicited, I'd be like, "Excuse you." It wasn't unsolicited in this case because I was like, "There's not." No, no, but I, mean, I felt like even after I got to the second draft of that first, which ended up being the zero draft, that I wasn't getting there. That I that I, that I wasn't there. Um, no, I, I don't think that if anybody else had read it, they would be like, oh, well, it's great, Kara, it's fine. But there was something missing, and so their first read-through was basically a big giant alpha. Right. I didn't mean their feedback was unsolicited, but I mean, when you got a yeah. new beta, a, a new beta reader, to me, that kind of feedback would usually be unsolicited. Um, so, so, somebody asked above, um, once the long... They said once a long time ago they had a beta and she would cross out paragraphs she didn't like or felt didn't fit in red and add possible directions, but also grammar and typos. So is that an alpha read? Um, that's a combination of line editing and content editing. But the thing is, is that if you didn't ask for that kind of thing, I find that to be um, inappropriate. Intrusive. intrusive. It is intrusive. It is intrusive. And also... The last thing I now I, I have heard of, you know, like fan fiction writers who, um, like they take scenes out based upon the advice of their beta, and that's fine. But they usually have an, a relationship with their beta that allows for that kind of advice. If somebody I didn't know and I was like giving them a trial run gave me, oh, you should take this out or whatever, I'd be like, that's not the kind of feedback I asked asked you for. So, um. And and the thing is, maybe a beta doesn't want to work with an author who doesn't want that kind of feedback, and that's fine. It's their time, but they don't have the they should they don't have the right to impose their view of your work on you because how do they know it's not necessary? So I've had you know I've had people say me I don't think this is necessary. Well, how do you know? How do you know what purpose this serves? Just because you don't see it doesn't mean that there's not a purpose here. The other side of it is is if they get angry with you. 
Never work with them again. Yeah. Or if they get butt I mean, hurt, there have been instances it. where I have had somebody who refused to correct outright errors in their in their work, um, and I would be like, "Please don't tell anybody that I helped you with this because that's not how you spell such and such in any language." <laughs> I don't want to be associated with your nonsense. But I wasn't mad. I was just exasperated. Right. It's because I don't want my name on this when people think I don't know how to spell vicious. You know. <laughs> I don't. Like so, early on, I, I baited for somebody who refused to put a single comma in any of her dialogue. All of her dialogue, she had a period inside the quote mark. On every single piece of dialogue, whether it was an action tag or a, a dialogue tag. And I was like, I can't, I can't because you're wrong and I can't deal with it. I just, I, I can't deal with it. Yeah. I mean, I, there was, there was um someone I was trying to beta for and I talked to him. I'm at the point now when I beta for people that I'll tell them if they've got a systemic issue and what it is, and then they need to go fix it. I'm not wasting my time doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, you know, 600 times in a document. I'll make the correction a couple of times, tell them how to find the problem. They need to go through into their own, to their own sweep on that kind of thing. Um, because that's how you learn. Right. If I'm doing it for you constantly, you're never going to pick it up. Right. But what she was doing was she was putting the action beats and dialogue tags for the in alternating dialogue with the wrong character, so it would be like um, my mouth hanging open. <laughs> They're not weird. A semicolon is a perfectly useful piece of punctuation. Google that. Google is your friend. So it'd be like that. So like that. This is this is what they would do. And I told her you put the tag and the beats for the character with the character who's speaking, but she said, that's not the way, the way it makes sense to her. So she wouldn't do it. And there I told is her, no I, way I'd have my name anywhere on that shit. No. So I said, I, I can't work with you. I cannot work with you because this is actually, it is wrong what you're doing. It's confusing. You are using, you know, it, it you can't, you put, does the she beat. also put dialogue from two characters in the same paragraph? I bet she well, does. That too. That too. Yeah. Um, but I said I can't. So I told her I said I can't. I can't beta for you. This is that you've got a systemic structural problem that you are refusing to fix, and you want me to try to ignore this and just go in and correct your commas? No. Which is fine. If she doesn't want to do it, she doesn't have to do it. But I also don't have to put my time to it. You're entitled to be wrong. Don't expect me to enjoy it. <laughs> but I sure the hell wouldn't want my name on it. No. <laughs> But the thing is, I have I will recommend things to people. I'll ask them, do you want me to point out any I'll ask them, do you know do you want me to point out any continuity errors? I actually have a really hard time with somebody tells me they don't want me to point out continuity errors. I may not actually beta for them. Because if they've got a continuity error, like they changed the character's eye colors and they don't want me to tell them, that's that their head's in the sand a little bit too much. But if they don't want content feedback, there's a difference between telling somebody they got a continuity error and saying, okay, your pacing's a little off here. That's very different things, right? So they tell me they don't want content feedback in general, but you know, there's somebody tells me they don't want continuity. You don't want feedback about continuity. I'd be like, so you want plot holes? I try to beta to what people want, but I have like a bare minimum. Like they, they have to have to like take typos and they have to take continuity errors and they have to, but I'll ask them, do you want me to do these other things? 
And depending on what they say, depends on the kind of beta they get. But also, I don't actually want to involve myself with a writer who has no intention of improving themselves ever. Right. I'm not going to alpha for you. I'm not going to beta for you. If you want to stay in that stagnant hole for the rest of your writing career, that is totally your choice. But I'm not going to enable you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not going to waste my time with that. Because all I'm doing is being a punctuation monkey for you. And you can use Grammarly for that. Uh, granted, I'm better than Grammarly, honestly, but because <laughs> you're a human being, and Grammarly is a computer that can't catch nuance and context. Right, but you you'll get you'll get there partly with Grammarly. So, um, you can there's a there's a limit the, on how much you can put through Grammarly for free, but you can do it. There is yeah, and also the 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 types of stuff. So they'll like point out like what they would consider the red line, the error, the actual errors you'll get, but some of the more advanced stuff like about tone and um, that all there, there are other, there's vocabulary enhancement. Okay. Vocabulary enhancement. Some of that stuff that is not considered critical errors. You don't get in the free, the free version and the free only works, I think is a web plugin. I don't think, I don't think that you can, you can use the standalone app for free, but I could be wrong about that. But but you can use their website to upload like a thousand words at a time, I think. Could be more, could be less. I don't really remember. But the web plugin works on um Word. on like WordPress WordPress and Yeah, WordPress. And yeah. So So you use the app. Okay, so the free version works. The app in the free version works on the app. Okay. I mean I've I I I had I was in pay. I was a pay client before I ever downloaded the app. But when you, if somebody doesn't, if somebody doesn't want certain kinds of feedback, I won't give it to them. But if they do ask for it and then they choose not to make a change that I suggest, I don't care. I have no emotional investment. And if, so usually I'm talking about things like, if I say, okay, the pacing's a little wonky here. It got really slow. You might want to, you know, rearrange these things. If they decide not to do that, I don't care. That's their call. But they, if they asked me to give them feedback on that, and I gave them feedback on that, and they chose not to implement it, that's fine. I don't care. But if they're flat out wrong, like they're wrong, and they're choosing not to make the change, they're choosing not to fix it, I don't want my name on that. <laughs> and before anybody calls, I see somebody already writing an email about it. It is not hypocritical to make fun of the person who wanted her to take the dragons out of her dragon shifter story. Okay. No. <laughs> There's a big difference between what we just said <laughs> and <laughs> taking out a thematic element of an entire story that was based. I mean, literally, if you took out out of emergency, it wouldn't be anything but be a sentinel at you. Um, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, she took the paranormal element out of my paranormal story. So, and the thing is, she knew what kind of story it was. She knew what kind of story it was when she picked it up. So telling me, give me this long diatribe about how the dragons, the shifters don't make sense because of conservation of mass. Blah, 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 blah. Shut up. You werewolf shifters. I mean, Emergence was on Rough Trade. So the content wasn't uh, couldn't have been new to her. Well, but she told me that it would be better, be a better story if I would take the dragon element out, the dragon shifter element out. I was like, well, uh, that's a complete rewrite. That is a complete rewrite. That's not trivial. It's not like she said, now the thing is, I agree. If she had said, I think the story would be better without the spirit dragon thing, the spirit animal element, I'd have been like, actually, I agree with you. I wouldn't have minded that beta feedback. 
But that's not what she said. No dragons. In the dragon story. Whatever. So. I mean, it's almost, and this is something I've been thinking about for a while, um, noodling on this particular topic. It was almost like she saw you as this newbie writer that she could boss around and mentor. Yeah. I can see your face from here. <laughs> Julie's in a, um, unimpressed face just made orbit. Mm-hmm. Y'all are lucky there wasn't some indignant hippogriff walking going on over here. I wrote that line just for you. I know you did. I know you. I I was I mean this was a very serious part and I was laughing so hard I could not catch my breath. I could not catch my breath. I was laughing so hard at that indignant hippogriff thing. I was just like I laughed and laughed and laughed. I'm like I and and then the thing is I was still laughing when Lenore and Ragnar killed themselves. Which <laughs> I mean tonally I I don't think I was right where you wanted me to be, but I couldn't help it. I just couldn't stop laughing. Yeah, but Beta, it, letting somebody into your process, I mean, Kira was very careful with me the first couple times. She, like, alpha for me, you know? She was very careful to, like, carefully ask me questions. And, and now she's just like, you know, it doesn't make any sense, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I bet she misses those days when I was careful with her. <laughs> not really. Not really. Because, honestly, I think it's, we, got to the, we, had, we had to get past the tap dancing phase, right? But that is, it's part of it. It's part of the, it's part of the getting to know one each other in that context of giving feedback to each other where you're kind of like, you know, is this going to offend them? Are they going to get butthurt? Are they going to walk away from, because I've had people do that. I've had people walk away from a story based upon feedback I gave them. Um, you know, which is, it's hard. It's, that's hard. You know, it's like, I to look at myself and go, well, should I, should I have not, if, what shouldn't I have said? You know, was it something I could have done differently? Are they just really sensitive? And, um, it was, it was an issue. Uh, it, it's, but you, you go through that fate, that, that, that dance with somebody and you figure out where, but I think Kira figured out fairly quickly that I'm not, you know, a hothouse flower about that kind of thing. And, but also that she gives me feedback that is constructive. It's not critique it from her. It is feedback. It's, you know, this and this and this. And the thing is, there's also times when she's told me something that doesn't work for her. So like, you know, this is, I find this jarring for me and I will consider why she finds it jarring, but sometimes I don't change it. (laughs) Cause that's her shit. It's my shit, you know? So like one of them was in um, one of my stories. I used the, I made online a verb and called it onlining. And she finds that phrase, that, that word really strange, which is fine. I don't mind her telling me she finds it strange. And I pondered it and said, well, I really do think that there would be (laughs) a vocabulary. I really do think that there'd be a vocabulary. I thought, why did I do this? I'm like, well, I do think there'd be a vocabulary that would have developed around people coming online. And this makes sense to have been, turn into a verb so i'm keeping it and the thing is it's not like i don't she's not butthurt that i disagreed with her about that i forgot about it until you just mentioned it just now (laughs) she's gonna see it it next time she sees that in my story but i did consider what she was saying to me and i stopped and i thought about it and i went but sometimes she gives says something like she finds something off-putting or whatever and i'll go okay because sometimes if something is throwing my beta out of a story i'll go well it's not that important to me so it doesn't hurt me to change it, even though I don't think there's anything wrong with it the way it is. But if it's throwing people, that could be a problem. So I'll go ahead and make the change, even though I'm not really all that invested 
in whatever it is. So it's good to know. But other times I'll be like, I'm pretty attached She's to this. keeping on lining. I'm keeping on lining. <laughs> um, she drew a line in the sand. Rabbi says, if someone walks away from a story over feedback, then they probably weren't very attached to the story in the first place. Oh, honey. Um, I have heard one too many stories about someone who was really enamored with their work in love with it to the point, you know, that, um, that they literally called it their baby. Um, I have a few word babies on my own, so I get it. Um, and they went into a beta and the beta tore it to shreds. And afterward, the idea of even opening the story was heartbreaking. Um, we have seen authors in fandom who were prolific um, be driven out of fandom by negative, continuous negative feedback. Sometimes only for three or four people. And that's all it takes. It really only takes one very, very dedicated asshole to ruin your entire fandom experience. Um, and writing is such an intimate thing. It's so intimate. Creating um, a story, even a small one, it is, 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 is an act of bloodletting. In, in a lot of ways you reveal yourself repeatedly when you write it's intimate it's personal um and if you have someone come into something that is is very important to you and they tell you that it's stupid and that you're dumb for thinking of it and this doesn't work and your characters are an at or assholes and um i mean it can make it really difficult to even look at it you can you can attach emotional trauma to that project in a way you'll never be able to work it again. Um, there, I went through a period of time where Harry Potter fans were driving me so nuts about um, Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond that I couldn't even open my own work. And I don't actually make a habit of taking reader feedback personally. Um, I will delete somebody's comment because I don't care. Um, but it got, I was bombarded. And I was so annoyed that I, it just, it was just like, I couldn't even stand to look at it. And so I didn't post any Harry Potter for a whole year. I still wrote it, but I didn't write it in that series. And I didn't, I just didn't want to give them any of my time. But imagine if Harry Potter was my only fandom. And there are some writers who only write in one fandom. Mm-hmm. And I was bombarded every fucking day by Harry Potter fans. Every fucking, fucking, fucking day. And I had nowhere else to go. I had no other fandoms, no other pairings. I mean, I could have very well retreated and, and never published fan fiction again. And I'm not some hot-ass flower either. But we all have our breaking point. I don't cry when somebody hates my work. In fact, more often than not, I laugh. Whenever somebody, whenever I say, hear some, see somebody say, oh, well, she's kind of overrated, it makes me laugh. Because who rated me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck you. <laughs> I don't give a shit what you think. But it, it isn't about what they think. It's about their actions and their activity over and over and over again. Only if they're only saying, oh, I just need more, 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 more. It's just, there's, it's so intrusive. It's so intrusive. I mean, I think part of the reason Slytherin Black has languished as long as it has is because that fandom drives me nuts. There was a point in time when um, I, I was just getting harassed about Slytherin Black so much 
that I just couldn't deal with it. And I just, I'm like, I can't touch this story. It's driving me crazy. There's a fucking thread on Reddit about that story being unfinished. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I imagine there's a whole Reddit community dedicated to bitching about me. I just yeah. don't even want to think about it. <laughs> I promise to never, I, 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 I learned my lesson. Never Google yourself on Reddit. Mm. Ever. Don't do it. So, yeah, whatever. Um, but it's just, it's something to, to think about, like, what's going to throw you off your feed? And make sure when you're going out to alpha or beta that you know if, that you could, like Kira said, if it's somebody new, trust them with something little. Trust them with something small. Um, and and figure out, you know, um, I baited for somebody who'd never been beta before. And we went through the whole process of, like, we negotiated what the, what, the, what they wanted and what I was going to give them. And I'm, I'm usually very careful, especially with newbies, about how I phrase things. Um, but honestly, the better writer they are, the harder my feedback is going to be to get, for them to, to deal with. And uh, let me explain. There was somebody I was baiting for for quite a while. And her writing was improving. And there was less, there was, I was, spending as much time with, you know, my, the minutia in her betas. She, I didn't feel like, and I didn't feel like she was ready to tackle bigger subjects like pacing or characterization and she just needed to get through she needed to work on her fundamentals right i didn't say this to her but anyway um so one day her, her writing was improving and so there wasn't as much for me to do and i started pointing out some other stuff because she said she was open to it we had had the discussion and she had asked me like you've never pointed this kind of thing out before and i said well honestly you've improved a lot and i think that you 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 can tackle this now and i don't think you were ready to tackle it before so if somebody's writing is really clean and they don't have structural issues that I'm putting all my time into and they ask me or they're open to content feedback, I'm very nice about it. But it could be that's harder to deal with than somebody who's just putting in your commas. Because it could be that they're they're like, oh, goodness, how am I going to address a pacing problem? They may have never even tried to approach that before. And I will try to give them suggestions if that's what they want, right? But you got to know that you're ready for that kind of thing. So you don't tell somebody you're open to that kind of content feedback if you're not ready for that kind of feedback. Because it can be soul-crushing. And that's why... Because you think you've done something awesome and you um, you got an outcome back. Like, well, your pacing's a little... A lot off, actually. Your pacing's a lot off. It's really dragging here, and your climax is in the first third of your story. That's never good, by the way. Um, and maybe it's not what they intended to be the climax, but I will say the high point of your story is in the first third. Never, never the goal. But, you know, it's sort of like getting a professional edit can feel crushing. But the thing is, your your book was already bought by the publisher. So that should be all the validation you need, right? And the edit's just going to it's, it's just going to suck. That's just the way it is. Because they're not there to hold your hand. They're there to make your story as good as it can be as a saleable and product. Honestly, if your edit isn't a bloody mess, be concerned. Ask questions. If your grammar is on point, it probably won't be as bloody as it could be. But if your edit is one or two things on each page, be very concerned. Because no one's that good. Yeah. 
if my edits come back anything less than a bloody mess, I'm like, did you read my shit? <laughs> I expect to be edited. <laughs> and sometimes if I feel like I'm not getting enough edit, I will do like a whole bunch of track changes of my own and make the editor look at things that I think are important. <laughs> yeah. I don't really dread edit getting edits back, honestly. I don't dread it. Um No, I don't I don't I don't dread it either. I just like oh it's you know, it is what it is, it's part of the process. There's no point in, you know, getting emotionally you know, wrapped around the axle about it. I used to when I was younger. Yeah. I mean I cried during my first two edits, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. I mean, I like my most recent edits, I got them back and I went through them. And there was like something he was picking out, and I think maybe in the next edit he would have like hit me harder with it. But I don't need to be beat over the head with my mistakes. So I was pondering the thematic element in the content changes he was he was requesting, and there was a there was a theme to them. And I pondered it, and I pondered it, and I pondered it, and I went, I fucked up. It's not a huge mistake, but it's something that I might as well go ahead and fix since I see it is a is a as a, a global issue, um, rather than make him you know prod me to enlightenment. <laughs> <laughs> but I huffed, I huffed a lot because I just it was like a, like a, you know, I'm like well, shit, fine, 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 I'll do it. I'll just deal with it. Um, but. I anyway, I was just kind of I kind of detour because I did beta for somebody who had never been beta before, and we went through. I kind of and I deliberately was kind of being exaggerated about what the process is like so that they could understand. Because I told them I don't beta very much anymore, and so this was kind of like kind of exposing them to what the whole process was like. And but part of the reason why we even went down that path was to kind of give them um, some structure to be able to fight this battle when they try to find their next beta. It's like, this is what, you know, and I'm not trying to say I'm Saint Beta because I can be, I can be a pain in the ass Beta to deal with in the sense that I'm not going to put up with any shit. <laughs> so, but I was like, I'm trying to share what a healthy process looks like about, you know, these are the kinds of things that you're, you know, if you, if you say, don't do this, your Beta shouldn't be doing it. And, you know, it's not going to feel good to be told that you were wrong about something, but just take a deep breath and move on. And this is what, you know, when, when you say you don't want this kind of feedback, this is what they shouldn't be giving you. So that it was kind of to help give her the space and the experience to be able to fight that battle on her own. Because there's nothing quite like somebody who thinks that they know everything sort of bludgeoning you with their opinion. Um, yeah. And it can destroy your ability to work on a project if you're bludgeoned like that, which will destroy your focus. Right. Um and make it very difficult. And that, that's why also I think it's important not to let people beta your um your your um your rough incomplete stuff. Even if they would, I wouldn't encourage it. If you feel like there's going to be a problem with your story, you should get an alpha read, not a beta read. And make sure they understand you're not asking them to pick apart you know, your punctuation, your grammar, you're asking them to help you with thematic elements or whatever it is you think you've got a problem with, looking for plot holes, ripples, that kind of thing. Um so somebody asks, is it worthwhile to have more than one person edit a long work? I would say it, it depends. Um, if you've got somebody who you feel like is pretty good 
at covering where your, your weaknesses are? I would say no. Um, and the reason I would say that is because sometimes multiple betas in a long work can be such a time suck that it, it might make you, it, it just, I get frustrated with it personally. Um, but it depends upon what, what, what you need, what kind of, so like sometimes betas are good at different things. And like I at one point had a couple of regular betas and one beta was really good at one thing and another beta was really good at the other thing. And they, they didn't have the same thing they were good at. So I would use two, but you know, I mean, it's just, but in general, I, I don't personally like to have more than one beta on a long work unless they're working, um, at the same time, which can be a logistical pain in the ass when it's out to both betas at the same time. Because usually the way you would do it is one beta would finish, you would either accept or reject their changes and then send on to the next beta, or send it on to the next beta with all of the other track changes in place and let them edit on top of the other person. Um, and that could could be dealer's choice, which you prefer or whatever. But when they're working at the same time, which would be the least time intensive for you as the, as the writer, um, you know, <laughs> then you've got, you've got a version reconciliation issue to deal with. One of those groups of changes you're going to be inputting manually. But Word will allow you to combine documents. Yeah, and it can but, be a pain in the ass if you don't do the, combina the combination right, though. I prefer to do one beta at a time, like when we were doing Unleash Your Demons. Um, well, not one at a time, but like I would like, I, I, did, did we stack the beta in that? Um, Lady Holder went first. I went last. Um, I but was, did I, like you see her comments in your file or? No, um, but we have had a beta like that where her comments yeah. were in the file. That was in um, uh, one of the betas we did on. Uh, um, unspeakable plot. Because mm. it would be like, there would be either a comment and then one of them would go, well, I agree with that then. And then blah, 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 blah. Or it would be like, I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> and I was like, God, bitches. <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes I, in that case, I think I went second. And um, like I would, re re sometimes I'd respond to, you know, like Lady Holder's comment and say, I think this is a really good point. <laughs> you know, like chiming in. Um. But sometimes a very complicated beta like that can can ruin your enthusiasm for a project. Yeah, it's difficult. I think there was one instance where it was also something like, um, and I'm not trying to pick on Lady Holder here, but you were wrong about something and she she called it out and fixed it, but her fix was wrong too. So <laughs> you bitches are both wrong. <laughs> but Lady Holder's most impressive and galling correction to date will always be the YouTube video. <laughs> the YouTube video, yeah. I started she could have corrected the number and I would not have even blinked. But this hussy had to provide a YouTube video <laughs> to back herself up. Okay, okay. 
whatever. Well, I started sending people like CMOS, uh, the uh, section in CMOS where they could find this for the, the to, to say, okay, this is what you're, and somebody told me that's really irritating. I was like, why is it irritating? I'm correcting it for you. I'm just telling you what my source is for why this thing you're doing wrong over and over and over again. And for those of you who didn't catch the reference, CMOS stands for the, the Chicago Style Manual. <laughs> So I go, you can read, I go, I'll say, this is the way this should be. You can read more about this in CMOS section, da, 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 da. And they're like, that's really irritating. I'm like, why is that irritating? <sighs> Whatever. <laughs> Lady Holder got well, that too. She Chicago didn't manual of style, but yeah. I bet it's Lady Holder. She didn't complain. I mean, she might've wanted to complain. I don't know. She didn't say anything <laughs> about it at all. But yeah, one person I did that too is just like, that's really irritating. And I was like, why is it irritating? I'm citing my sources. <laughs> Honestly, I will often do that if I'm asked, telling somebody they need to make a global change in how they do something. I'll say, if you want to read more about this, you should go read about it here. Because you, honestly, if it's coming to a global change, I honestly think that they you should give you. You need to know why. You, you need, need to and, and know they, why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, sometimes two, um, um, two betas are really helpful. Uh, sometimes it's awesome, actually, to have somebody who's an alpha reader who's not your beta. And then to have a, a when you when your beta comes in, um, you, get a, you get a different perspective. Because sometimes you need a different perspective. And also, it depends on the projects. Like, there are some projects that I, um, and I, I couldn't tell you one off the top of my head. But when I look at it, I think to myself, okay, I need an alpha read from Lady Holder on this. Or I need an alpha reader from, you know. Jilly on this, or I'm gonna put this in the bitches and get everybody's opinion. Yeah, <laughs> because sometimes you need something, and may maybe you don't even, maybe you can't even articulate what it is, but follow your instincts on that. Yeah, I mean, there is, um, there was, yeah, the, when, when I alpha read for somebody, I try really hard not to give them beta feedback. I try really hard, but I think what well, I think it, one time. It was maybe, maybe it was Unleash Your Demons, actually. I don't remember what the context was, but I did, I did highlight something and say, and by the way, this should be this. And the only reason I'm pointing this out to you, I know this is more beta, but because most betas aren't going to catch this, which it was, I was misspelling, um, or ordinance. Nowhere. Oh, was it? No. Oh, the, uh, oh, right. Nowhere. Or nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. I think we had that ordinance nowhere. too. Um, the actual location in the MCU, right? So I was misspelling it, and um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, she ended up being my beta anyway, but uh, <laughs> so yeah. she would have caught it. <laughs> I think we also had it on ordinance on on a different story. Ordinance. I had no yeah. idea there were two different ordinances. <laughs> right. And I think I, I think that's I think that's when I highlighted and said this is spelled without an I in this context, and I don't think I'm telling you now because I don't think most betas would catch this. And honestly, sometimes I don't see it too because it's an I. It looks right, right? So if I see it, I'm gonna like go ahead and point it out while while I see it, especially because sometimes I don't see mistakes the same way the second time I read something. That's just that's the way the brain works. But so what as to the having somebody edit multiple people editing a long work, you got to go with what feels good to you based upon the betas you're working with. Um, if I had a really good typo beta on a story I felt solid about that I'd had an alpha reader on, that's all I feel like I need. 
as somebody who's really good with typos, is all I really need. That's what I want. If I feel solid about the story and it's been through like an alpha read or, or whatever, or, if, or just if I feel really solid about the story. Um, on the other hand, I mean, Duty of the Living is novel length and it didn't have any beta or alpha. So it's got some typos in it that I've spotted when I reread it, but um, it's not a hot mess either. So um it's just it's just a matter of what you're comfortable with and, and what where you feel like I would but on that story what I felt like I needed was somebody who could spot typos really well. I just didn't have time to to get that done before I needed to post it. And once I posted it, I decided to work on feeding frenzy instead. <laughs> Priorities. Um but sometimes that story I'll look at it, I go, I feel like that there's something here that needs more work. And then I'll put it through an alpha read. And then once I feel like it's solid from the alpha read, I still am going to prefer just somebody who's really good with typos. Now, if I've got nobody available who's really good with typos, then I might send it through two betas who are moderately good with typos. That way you get, you know, it's just increasing the odds that they're going to spot them. Because I've had betas come back where it'll be like, 20 pages with no corrections. I'm like, did you hmm. read my shit? Because <laughs> I know I got some typos in there. I'm like, and part of me is going, okay, I'm flattered that you were that into it, that you forgot to beta, but <laughs> <laughs> can you read it know, again, please? I know there's typos. I know there's typos in that, in that, in there. So, because I'm the queen of dropping words, leaving words out. And which is if you're reading, somebody's reading quickly, they're going to supply, supply that word for themselves. The brain's going to supply the word. And so the word dropping is... Uh, uh. Anyway, creative focus. So... I think, I think the most um, important part of creative focus is that you've decided this is what you're going to do which is part of what we talked about earlier, that you sit down to write and you set yourself up to success for success and that you then write, then you then do it. And sometimes things get in the way and like life, you can't help what life is going to throw at you. You can't help that unfortunate phone call or your pet gets, you know, pukes on your shoe and you have to take them to the vet. I mean, these things cannot be helped. You can't predict those things. So controlling the things you can control is really important. And I see people not even making the effort to do it. And then they struggle with, with focus. It's like, well, um, maybe turn off Jeopardy. That would help. If you find something really engaging, having it playing in the background is not going to help you focus. When I need background noise, it's something that, you know, I have playlists for different fandoms, which mm -hmm. is why whenever my husband hears uh, Josh Groban, he'll are go, you writing fucking Josh Groban. <laughs> <laughs> why do you start it again? Josh Groban. <laughs> like, it's a, like it's a curse word. <laughs> Because, like, for the whole two years I was writing what might have been, I was all up in the Josh Groban. And if you didn't notice that from the titles of those stories, I don't know what's wrong with you. But, um, <laughs> yeah. So whenever he hears it, he assumes I'm writing McShed, but he's not wrong. <laughs> I think Josh Groban is one of the most beautiful singers of, of, of his generation. Yeah. Um, his voice is gorgeous. It resonates. He's just... um. 
lovely. Truly. I agree. Um, so someone said that they have a hard time focusing because they reread the story and feel like they always need to change it. And they've rewritten the story like three times now. Um, Don't reread. Stop um, <laughs> I think the person. I think the person's still here. Um, Stop that. <laughs> yeah, they are. So the question is: Are you still rereading? Are you rereading while you're writing, or are you just getting to the end and then reading it over and over and over again and constantly editing yourself? Because that's two different things. The kind of editing, the kind of nitpicking yourself while you're trying to produce your rough draft, is a different problem than the person who edits forever. Because a lot of people get stuck in that whole, what I call micro editing, where they write a paragraph and they go back and tweak it and they go back and tweak it and they go back and tweak it. And they can, they can spend a day crafting 200 words. That's a different problem than somebody who gets to the end of their story and then they're constantly in a revision cycle. And it would help to know, and I see them typing. So it would help to know which, which one of these is you or are you both? Okay, so you finish the chapter, you go back, read read it, if you think you're happy with it, and then maybe you need to change it. A day later, you think you need to change it. Um, that could be a couple things. One, first of all, don't go back and reread the chapter as long as you're still writing. If you're actively writing, uh, sometimes when you sit down the next day, you need to catch up on what you wrote before, but you might be able to get around that by taking really good notes about what you wrote so that you can pick back up where you left off without doing that reread or just um, going to the top of the last scene mm -hmm. and not and don't give yourself permission to edit mm -hmm. as long as your edits if your edits are actually changing your actual plot direction that's a little bit different than if you're just like tweaking your language or you're tweaking details and that kind of thing. You just have to resist the urge to do it. You just have to stop because honestly, the mindset for editing is, is different than the mindset for writing. And you're going to be a clearer headed, more objective editor about your own work. If you finish the story and you walk away from it for a little while and then come back and look at it. If a couple if of weeks just, ago, we, we talked about respecting your writing time and you're not respecting your writing time. If you're editing during your writing yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you've got editing to do, you're going to choose to take your writing time and you're going to choose to edit that day, which is fine too. Cause you got to get through that stuff. So some people edit in sprints, but if you're just editing yourself when you're supposed to be writing, when you're saying, okay, today I'm going to write and all you're doing is tweaking yourself. Yeah. Give yourself, you block off. If you're somebody who's constantly just tweaking their own thing, give yourself permission to not do that, to not perfect it, to not constantly mess with it. Get it done. Get, get the writing finished. And then you get a big edit where you can go through and you can tweak to your heart's content in that sweep, in that next draft. And then you have to stop. Maybe give yourself a little schedule to start. And start small. Um, and then get bigger as you go. Like say that Monday through Saturday. You give yourself. Whatever, whatever writing time you have. Monday through Saturday. 
that writing time is dedicated to writing. You do not edit, just writing. That on Sunday, whatever time you've got available to give to the project is your editing day. Then you just tweak the shit out of it, right? And then on Monday, you write. And you write on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then the next Sunday, you can edit. And then you go maybe two weeks into your project, if you're still working on the same project, before you edit again. That way, you kind of build yourself up to the point where you can eventually get to the point where you can write a whole project without doing any editing on it until you're done. Baby steps. Mm-hmm. And that way, you will behavioral modify your way out of the um, the mindset that you've developed um, as a writer, which is not a great mindset to have. It's very um, damaging to your creative focus. It's also damaging to your productivity. And it's also, I find it, and you may not, you may not take this this way, but I find that um, when I'm in those states of mind where I'm constantly adjusting my adjusting my writing and then you know editing myself that way it feels a little bit like damaging to my creative self that like because you're nitpicking yourself (laughs) right and just don't don't do that you know you need I, I think a lot of what's important for writers is to validate that's why we talk about making the choice about what you're going to doing instead of letting Instead of saying you're blocked, say, I don't want to write today. And that's okay. Some days you don't want to write. And people think it's like, I don't know, it, they, they, there's like something on in that that they go, that that's, that's worse to say they don't want to write than to be a victim of circumstances that are preventing them from writing. And I disagree. I find it more empowering to just own whatever I'm going through. Um, I don't want to write. I'm in a shitty mood and I'm not in the mood to make, because I'm just not in the mood to, to open myself up emotionally. I don't write well. I do not write well when I'm not open emotionally. So if I'm going into a writing session not wanting to be open emotionally, I'm pretty much guaranteeing that I'm not going to like what's going to come out. And that's a lot of years of experience talking. I remember I mean, once being in a seminar where um, the speaker uh the guest speaker said that writers write every day. And I must've got a look on my face that he didn't like. Cause he pointed, cause he singled me out and he said, you don't agree. I said, no, I don't. I said, writers are born. I've always been a writer, but I don't write every day. I said, and you don't, and nobody has the ability to tell me I'm not a writer. Not even you. No. Now there hasn't been a day of my life that I have that I can remember that I haven't told myself stories in my head. My brain is constantly going with that kind of thing. But there are days I don't want to I don't want to make that transition from my brain to the page. I don't want to. And sometimes you don't have the physical time to do so. Right? Or the environment that is conducive to it because you know, white knuckling it unless I'm working on a deadline, white knuckling it through writing actually makes me dread writing so i think i do what's good for you and that's why i think it's more important and more empowering to own own your choices about writing it's like own that you are choosing the youtube spiral over writing because you are it is not that you're blocked it is not that your muses are not talking to you 
you are choosing that YouTube spiral. And I only use this as an example because I've done it. I have made the choice. To, yeah, to- I'm, I spent like six hours watching Hannah Graham <laughs> videos one night. I spent a big chunk of today doing that. So, you know. <laughs> I know. I got one of my, she's sending me a link in, in Discord. Like, oh, it's another, I haven't seen this video. Click. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, <laughs> it was the editing, was, the editing so, was good, though, wasn't it? We all have people in our lives who aren't going to approve of what we do as writers, either because they don't understand it, um, they don't understand where it comes from, and it makes them uncomfortable. Um, they see it as a way uh, that they don't see it as a viable career, and that is perfectly okay for them to think those things, but don't internalize those things because that's bullshit. They're entitled to their bullshit opinion. When someone asks you what you're doing when you're writing, don't tell them you're writing. Tell them you're doing something that makes you happy. And then watch them try to frame it to tell you you're not allowed to do anything that makes you happy. It'll be super awkward and fun for you. Because... What do they say back to that? That doesn't make them look like a bigger asshole than they're already being, right? I'm doing something that makes me happy. Some people make a writing, make a living as a writer, and some don't. Sometimes you just have a job that pays the bills, but it's not your dream and it's not your passion. And that is perfectly okay. Because if you're a writer, you came born with a dream and you came born with a passion and you don't need anybody to define that for you. That's why you have a job to pay your bills. But what you do with your free time is your own damn business. Just saying. When someone tries to monitor or police my free time, I get really irate. It, it's just like. Yeah, I want to go. What is it? Sometimes I just want to go. What is it? Because they'll spend you- their ass all evening in front of the TV, right? Mm-hmm. Not making money, but it's not a problem. But if I spend six hours writing on my computer and I'm making money, it's a problem. Fuck you, what? Seriously? It doesn't have to feed you. Oh, yeah, that's very clear, actually. Um, in, in, in what you've said already. Um, that, that's what oh. jobs are for. I mean, if you know, make the money, make the money you need to live ever how you can, but it it's not. Writers are not unique in this way, though. I mean, it's it's not most writers don't make don't make a living writing, even those that are professionally published, and even those that have some of them that even have a lot of books out don't make a living at it. Um, because a lot of times the money doesn't come in at intervals where it's viable to I mean you got you might get one check a year or two checks a year depending on where you're pop- and that money isn't going to feed you. Right. So writing is their passion, and they have a job that 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 deals with their needs, but. That, that that's not unique really to writers anymore. A lot of people have their passion outside their job. So how are you any different from the person who does motorbike racing on the weekends or plays golf constantly? You know, people or a lot plays of people, video games in the living room or right. Binges of, three seasons of Orange is the New Black on Netflix. Right. Whatever people have, a, it is so common for people's passions to be outside of their work. So the fact that you spend um, your passion and you spend your free time, whoever you may be, I'm not necessarily specifically trying to single anybody out, um, 
because honestly, most people who want, most people, even if you're successful at becoming a writer, even if you're publishing a couple books a year, it is not going to be, which to me would be a success, right? You are not going to make a living at that unless you just get really, you hit the market exactly right. You get really lucky. And you're the next J.K. Rowling. That is not most writers. So you can be a professional writer and it is not going to feed you. And that's okay. That's okay. That's the way it is for most of them. That's the way it is for, what would you say, 99.99% of writers don't make a living at it? Yeah. And that isn't the point. So when it some, and so say that. Point. And so say that. When somebody says it's not going to feed you, say, yeah, I know. It doesn't feed most writers. It's their passion. So I Watching do this. 16 hours of Netflix every day doesn't feed you either. And yet you do it. But I'm an asshole. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound weird to say that when you're writing, you feel like you're breathing fresh air because it, 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 when we do the things we're passionate about, it does renew us. It is invigorating. It, whether, and even if it makes you cry, even if it sometimes you feel like your own writing is, is just breaking your heart. Um, that's, that's the, that's part of the joy of it though, is that it does transport you in that way. And some people feel transported in that way by video games, and that's fine. It's just the the, the people just have a, and maybe it's in an adequate feeling inadequate on their part. Maybe they are maybe they're saying negative things to you because they feel like the thing they're passionate about isn't as interesting as what you're passionate about. Maybe they envy you. I mean, people will do anything to cut somebody else down. I don't have any judgment, honestly, about if somebody's passion is. I don't know. Um, sheep watching as. versus um, as my passion is as. not as. I, I love her bunches, but she's not my passion. <laughs> what I was going to say is there's a video on YouTube, and I think she'll be able to help me find it about poppies. It's Carrie, the, t- the tall poppy Pop- thing. Tall poppies. Um, you you it triggered me. Yeah, would you find that link for that, please? If you're on your computer. But some people who are criticizing your passion, they're they're doing it to cut you down. And it's probably because they think that your passion is more interesting than theirs. And that's their inadequacy speaking. They're cutting you down because of their inadequacy, not because of anything wrong with you. I'm not saying that's everybody who is critiquing what you do. But I do believe that that becomes an issue with quite a few people that, you know, that they they see what you are passionate about and what you love that maybe it does more for you than the thing than their hobby or maybe maybe they don't haven't found a passion and so they're cutting yours down and you just don't let them get away with it. I think there it, are there are yeah. some book fetishists out there. You go, girl. I I I watched a book. Of, I there, I seen that there's a video about somebody um, doing like old fashioned book binding. Like, you know, where like they like stained the pages, they made their own journal and stuff. I watched that video like five or six times. So I watched that video so much that um I uh helped my nieces make journals. We did our own I, little journals, we sewed them together. It was very satisfying, you know. It was just very satisfying. So, you know, if if, if books are what you love and all of their expression, whether it's it's how they're made to the writing of them to, you know, that's, that's fine. You've got, you've got, you've got the thing. I mean, and honestly, I would just be happy that you figured out your thing. 
I think that's one of the great things about knowing you're a writer from a young age is you figured your thing out when a lot of other people are still trying to figure theirs out. You might want to work on deflection. If, like, I've encountered people where it's easy to deflect them um, from from you so they can't take away from you. Um, or there's always gray rocking where nothing that they say penetrates. You just flick it off. Yeah. Just flick it. Or there's another technique called fogging, which is where you basically agree with everything they say while disagreeing, while agreeing with nothing. It's where, like, they go, well, you know, when she says... Um, writing won't feed you and you're like you know what you're right mom it won't and you just move on you don't offer a counter argument you just agree with the, you agree with the part she's right about but you're right mom writing isn't going to feed me moving on um <laughs> i mean because then it just takes the wind out of their sails um unless you're worried about physical aggression on top of that and then um honestly i think at that point if there's also a physical aggression in the household that you need to seek outside help honey but we do have a lot of people in our writing community who are get invalidated by people close to them, people they live with, family members. Moms are a real common theme. Um, I'm lucky. I was. I mean, lucky. I'm very lucky in the mom in the mom department. Even if she does sneak around reading, you know, listening to my porn podcast. <laughs> we know you're there, Mama Marcos. We know you're there. Now we do. Um, my mom is super supportive of my writing, but it took a long time for her to be supportive of my fan fiction writing. And um, yeah, that just that was difficult because that's that's a whole different thing. The fandom and validation is just a it's a little bit of a different issue because you'll get that all over the place. All you have to do is just get that from other writers. You get that from family, friends, people on social media. It's just all over the place. Oh, you're a fan fiction writer. Oh, you're doing that fan fiction thing? What is that? Like, oh, shut up. Something that makes me happy. Something that makes me feel really great about myself. Something that makes me forget how terrible I think of you. You know, honestly, porn, you can make a living making porn. <laughs> you're more likely, honestly, you're more likely to make a living at porn. <laughs> Um, but yeah, some people do think that fan fiction is all just porn, but this, uh, I would actually say that these days, it's not even the majority of it anymore. No. It comes and goes in trends. No. Well, if somebody doesn't like fan fiction, I mean, I don't, I don't care if they like, like my mom, she doesn't get it. She does not get it. If, if, if basically she's so, if, if the show didn't present it to her. She doesn't see it, which I find to be actually kind of bizarre because um, sometimes the show presents something to us that is stupid and that's what you're going to latch on to. Like, but that's not the way it was in the show. Would you stop it? What was in the show was stupid. <laughs> that relationship We've was moved on. Why haven't you? <laughs> I, I had to have somebody once tell, tell me that they said when I was talking about um, the chemistry between the actors and, and the way they worked on the screen and stuff. And they said, but the actors are straight. And I was like, so what? What does that have to do with anything? I'm not, I'm not writing about the actors, you dingle dong. I'm writing <laughs> about the characters. But people have a really hard time sometimes wrapping their head around 
fiction versus reality, which is strange because you'd think they'd have a basic understanding of that considering they watch TV. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah but they're actors. They can play gay. Right. That's their job. Um, um, the Kira linked a Tall Poppies video in the podcast link library for anybody who is curious about. I think you should definitely look it up. Yeah. Because she talks about people in your life who are toxic, who will just tear you down um, for for your successes so you won't be more successful than they are because they can't stand it. Just just because. Just because. Um, just no matter how much you accomplish, um, they'll always have something ugly and negative to say. Mm-hmm. And there's I'd like also, to also something- point out that it is perfectly reasonable to cut somebody out of your life if they're toxic. It doesn't matter if they're your mother, your father, your sister, your adult child, (laughs) whatever. If they're toxic, you have the right to cut them out of your life. You don't owe them interactions with you. If they abuse you mentally, physically, verbally, emotionally, they don't. They, They do not deserve space in your life merely because you're related to them. The other thing, I think there's other thing that's kind of a little bit thematic in the Tall Poppies video is sometimes it could be, and sometimes one of the things that will happen is that somebody who gives you, gives you shit about, and I've seen this happen with somebody, not, didn't, it didn't do happen to me, but I saw it happen with a friend who, they had like a lot of negative energy from their friends about their involvement in fandom, but fandom has grown a lot and fandom has caught on, right? And so like, um, you know, their friends who weren't supportive of their fanish hobby uh, all of a sudden were getting involved in fandom because, honestly, Teen Wolf is where it, where it happened. They got really wrapped up in the Teen Wolf fandom. And MTV really played up to fandom to get people to grow that fan community and make fandom a big part of the show. And then they kind of, you know, realized they couldn't deliver on their promises. But anyway, that's a whole side side story. Um, and then her friends all of a sudden need to, and honestly, I don't think they were good friends, right? And that's one thing that I told her. Her friends needed her, needed to make her invalidate the fact that she had been involved in fandom for years, right? So when she found out that they were involved in Teen Wolf fandom, and she's like, oh, I, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm involved in that too. Or da, da, da. And basically their comeback was something along the lines of, I don't remember exactly how she phrased it to me. It's like, oh, you're always just doing whatever's trendy. It's like, uh, hello. I'm like, I'm like OG fandom person here. Fuck you. Um, but that was just a, the kind of friend that, that just needed to constantly cut her down. She's the kind of friend that needed her face eaten. <laughs> Right, right off her skull. Because <laughs> some people just need to put you in your place. They need to feel like they're putting you in your place. Whatever. And the thing is, it's interesting how they know what your place is. Um, and whether and it's just you don't need you don't need that kind of negativity in your life. My first fandom was Star Trek because I was I had a crush on Will Wheaton. Shut up. Um, I still actually do kind of have a crush on Will Wheaton because he's a quality human being. <laughs> yes, he is a quality human being. I mean, he is just a really good person, and so I I really appreciate that about him. Yeah. So whatever, but whatever you're going to do, if somebody's just 
constantly tearing you down. Think about that tall poppy thing. And maybe they envy you your passion. Maybe they envy you that you are, maybe they envy that you can write, you know? There's always that person out there who's always saying, or be that person we all know, who's always saying that someday they're going to write the great American novel. Someday, someday. They've never put fucking pen to paper, but someday. I've always wanted to write a book. Yeah. I've you bring up the. I always wanted to somebody who wanted to write a book. Yeah. <laughs> You'll bring up that you write, and they'll be like, oh, I've always wanted to write a book. And then instead of talking to you or talking about what you ta- the tangible thing that you're already doing, they'll spend two hours monopolizing the conversation, waxing poetic about their great dreams of writing a book someday. Aren't you like 45? Not that you can't start writing at any time, but I would think if this has been a lifelong passion, you'd have found five minutes for it by now. Did that beep happen on your end or my end? My end, the dishwasher's done. It's very loud. Okay, because I thought, is that, is that my fire alarm? <laughs> no, my dishwasher, we try not to set it to go to, to finish, to, to run when we're going to be in bed, because that thing goes off, we're all awake. We're like, ah! <laughs> what the fuck was that? <laughs> yes, dishwasher's done. I heard you. Um, but... The thing is, I'm not, and I, I don't, I don't, don't, I don't want to get an email from somebody saying, "Oh, I didn't start writing until I was 45." That's not even the point. Okay, that's not even the point. It's the person, because usually when you're having that conversation with somebody, they've already started writing. It's like, okay, well, I finally got the courage or whatever to start writing when I was 40, and that's great. They did it. But the person who's sitting there waxing poetic about how they're going to write someday, shut up. They've, they've never written. They're not going to write. And when they when they talk about writing, it's an autobiography because their their life has been so exciting that everybody must read it. Right, I'm gonna write my memoirs someday. You do that, and um, I'm sure your I don't friends honestly and care who you banged in the backseat of your mama's car when you were 17. I don't care. <laughs> Just saying. It's just, just. Oh, did you climb Everest? No. Well, then why in the hell would I want to read your book? <laughs> if you had climbed Everest, I'm only interested in reading your book if you brought your trash down. Because fuck all those assholes who <laughs> left their trash up there. Right? The Pick first up after climbing, yourself. The, the, the Englishman who went up Everest and came down with his own trash. I would probably actually read that. Since, you know. <laughs> I think an Englishman probably would bring his trash back down. <laughs> I'm pretty sure a Canadian would. But anyway, uh, that was for you, Dark. I know you're probably not here tonight, but I just had to do that for you. Um, I actually feel like I need to atone a little bit for talking about shitty Canadian beer in the last <laughs> But I do think Canadian beer is shitty. Um, take your top five brands. I think they're all crap. So, you know. She's, she's not sorry. This is my opinion. I have had good beer in Canada, but it's not the stuff that you're going to be picking up in an American store. Nope. Molson is gross. Um, judging you right now, as I'm really judging you. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All I could think was deeply unfortunate and unlikely, but, you know, that works too. Terrible <laughs> word pun. So as um, said that American beer, an American beer is sex in a canoe. 
fucking close to water. <laughs> yeah, it is. But anyway, um, unst Alexander, unstable and hard to steer. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very strange appellation to put on beer. Um, but anyway, don't just don't let people cut you down. You because that that's another thing. It's about preserving your creative focus. And if you need to judge them in your head and talk about, you know, just sit there, just do it. Go ahead. You can you can have your own. We we now we sell the knickers of judgment. Now you can you can get your own <laughs> pair, and just put them on. If somebody's cutting you down, you can just come up with the most unflattering story in your head for why they are so obnoxious. I once told a cousin of mine. Um, that he was, he said something about something I was writing and um, I forget what it was, but it was snotty. I just turned to him and I said, I'm killing you in my next book. And went back to what I was talking about. <laughs> yes, yes, I did. <laughs> he got it. He was like, so which dead body am I? I said, that is for you to, 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 to determine. <laughs> You didn't even use my name. Well, no, I didn't want your dumb ass to try to sue me. <laughs> Actually, all the deaths are you. I couldn't get it out of my system with just one. They're all you, motherfucker. All. Every single one of them. I'm going to put this out there. It may be true. It may not be true, but you'll have no way of knowing. There's a Harry Potter fan out there that has been killed a lot of times in Dark and Royal. <laughs> one person More killed one. over and over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> Drop me a little where I killed half my fans in effigy. <laughs> <laughs> His name might be Brad. <laughs> or it could be Robert of the Clan, Brad. We'll never tell. But if <laughs> do whatever it, it, it is that helps you stay in your space, because that is the most important part of the creative focus is that protect your mind palace. I really, that's the phrase is so ridiculous and over overly melodramatic, but there's something to it, right? You need to, you need to protect your creative center. And if that means you need to have a snotty story for how your mom is just a jealous, you know, it's just jealous of your talent or whatever. Um, because you found your great passion and all she's got is days of our lives, then that's fine. Tell, tell, you know, have, have, get those knickers of judgment going, you know, do what you have to do. If you have to write a short story about your character standing beside their mother's grave, cussing them out, that is between you and your character. <laughs> My. <laughs> <laughs> I think it probably is one of the more popular soap operas, though, so that's not really a surprise. That is funny. What though. I love about soap operas is, is that you cannot watch it for two decades and watch a week and feel like you've missed nothing. Missed nothing, right? <laughs> like, oh, Victor Newman's still an asshole. Okay. <laughs> I've caught up. How many times can Victor go to jail for life <laughs> and get out? But figure out how to protect your, your, what allows you to write. Figure out how to get there and give yourself permission to not write when you don't want to. There gets to be this thing 
This weird one-upmanship I've seen sometimes on social media or in writers groups where people one-up each other about the reason why they can't write. Oh, I can't write because, you know, my muses are in bondage in the closet eating Cheerios. <laughs> and I'm like... The muse does not exist. The the one-upping on what people's muses are up to. Oh, my muse won't let me write anything but what she wants me to write on. I'm like, oh, shut up. I mean, honestly, just... I try to be tolerant when people put, you know, just casually mention their muse. But if you are really blaming a muse for why you can't write, no, just no. My imaginary unicorn is going to come to your house and stab your muse with their horn. Then you're going to be screwed. <laughs> Feed it to the fucking shark. Because <laughs> sharks and unicorns go together now. They're they're a pair. <laughs> and the penguin's going to watch. I'm going to sit here hugging my penguin and watch this horror show. <laughs> oh my god. The muse thing, uh, it, it, it drives me nuts. It, um, it removes agency. It, uh, for across the board, because, it, because when you attribute your success and your failure to an imaginary figure, what's left for you? Right. When you when you have a really good writing day, folks, you did that, not your muse. Cause and the thing is that's the logical consequence, right? When you blame your muse for why you can't write, honestly, your muse gets the credit when you do write. And I'm not okay with that. I stopped wanting to share my successes with other people, you know, when I was like two. <laughs> I hated group projects. <laughs> He's really unfocused with the glue and crappy with the glitter. This isn't all my work. <laughs> I'm also deeply unfond of participation trophies. I got one once when I was little and I threw it away. <laughs> you mean I got this for showing up? I don't need that. I handed That's it more... back to the teacher and I said, it doesn't have my name on it. Well, you didn't win. I said, well, then I don't want it. And she made me take it home. So I took it home and threw it away in the trash. And my mom found it and she said, what? Why'd you throw this away? I said it doesn't have my name on it. I didn't win. Why would I want it? <laughs> I was a little bit more literal than that. <laughs> I got a participation trophy for something. I don't remember what it was, and um, I said, "What?" Well, I said it was for, and they said it was because I was there, and so I went and handed it to my mother and said, "This clearly is for you because I didn't have anything to do with getting me here." <laughs> <laughs> It was your mom's participation trophy. That's hilarious. <laughs> Did she keep it? <laughs> no. <laughs> if my mom kept everything she wound up in her hands because I was too literal in our lives, <laughs> she'd have a whole house full of junk. Anyways, but yeah, but, but people will. You'll see this. You'll see this happening with, um, and honestly, it becomes another form of distraction, right? So, like the group that shall not be named, um, people will get in there and be like yapping about, oh, you know, my muse won't let me write today, and then there'll be multiple people commenting, oh, my muse gives me troubles. You know, I just, you know, what do you do? Hire a negotiator to 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 manage your detente? Is that the way that goes? I mean. <laughs> Are you going to get a lawyer? <laughs> Is there a divorce in the, in the process? 
How do you get a new one if you divorce your muse? <laughs> I just, it's just so fucking dumb. Um, I mean, if you feel like you have some sort of creative force that's outside <laughs> of yourself, I'm really having a hard time with this. If that is something that you really do feel, I'm not trying to invalidate how you feel about that. I would just challenge you to consider letting that be more part of you than something outside of you. And that if you're feeling like you're out of touch with that creative part of you, it isn't because you're blocked or because your muse is silent or because your muse is off having margaritas on the beach. It is because there's something else going on. There's something that is that creative center that you've got, that we've all got, is quiet for some reason. And maybe it's because you've been stressed or maybe it's because you you've got a sleep. or you've got a family member who's sick or maybe it's because you're mad about something and you haven't dealt with the fact that you're angry and you got all this bottled up emotion. There are reasons why we struggle to get in touch with that creative side of ourselves that have absolutely nothing to do with a mythical muse going for, you know, a siesta. Um, but if it helps you to kind of visualize that creative part of yourself, if that really does help you, fine. But I just would challenge you to own it a little more and recognize that that is you, that it's not something that's outside of you. It's not some ethereal outside of you force. It is, it is part of you, even if you choose to anthropomorphize it and call it Brenda. Um, <laughs> it's still a part of you. Brenda? Okay. It's you. <laughs> Brenda was her chummies. Uh, well, I don't, I don't know. What do you name a muse? I don't know. Persephone? Right, I've never done it. <laughs> Susie. I, per, Susie. Dorothy. Susie, obviously. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? <laughs> well, see, that's, that's not... I can't the, even say half of those, so... <laughs> If I had a muse and I named it Calliope, I think somebody should send me right back to the muse farm for being unoriginal. <laughs> Princess special snowflake sparkly gumdrop. <laughs> I mean, also, if it helps you, if that helps you, okay, you do you. But it doesn't change the fact that when you write, that is you. It is you who succeeded. And when you don't write, it is you who didn't. Not your muse. Those are your mistakes. Those are your meandering. That's your dead body. I mean, you know, shit doesn't happen in your story unless you do it. Your characters aren't going off plot. You're going off plot. Your character didn't meander down some path that you did not plan on and spend 25k talking to a ghost. That was you. So don't blame your characters or your so-called muse for the shit that you do. <laughs> it, it just, it's, you need to own it. Just, just own it. Own your words. Own your ideas. Own your perceptions. Own your author voice. Own your creativity. Um, it's just really, really, really super important to your um, creative focus to do so. Actually, Ellie, I'm, I'm willing to be your muse on that one. Feel free to call me Brenda. <laughs>
<laughs> so, but yeah. Um, I think that's probably all for this podcast. Uh, so I uh, hope you guys have a fantastic week and that you are very productive during Nano. And um, we shall catch you later. Is that good night, Jilly? Good night, everyone.